does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. on its way has plenty of distance it's up and it is good chase mclaughlin from 52 on the game's first drive for the colts second down and nine matt ryan touchdown. taking a shot to the end zone looking for ashton Dillon. touchdown indy here's the snap kick is on its way it's a line drive knuckleballer but it goes through and it is good Shotgun snap, looking right now, he checks it down left side, looking for the end zone for Alec Pierce, and he's got it! Touchdown, Alec Pierce! And he spikes into the end zone! All right, we decided to go uber positive, I guess, there to start this Monday morning. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Sam Fritz, and for Mark Dykton here. To start off this Monday, Jake, I'm curious, <clears throat> as you scramble for the headset for the umpteenth day in a row, any luck? I mean, you would think that they would still be sitting here. I kind of took that for granted. I'll get some. I've got some in my bag, I think. Um, I mean, that, that, that actually, if you were to listen to this program and hear that you have your headsets, and I realize I did not... That actually kind of representative of last night's game. One team deciding to show up, be ready, have their ducks in a row. Although the Colts did kind of show up for a while there, though, right? I was going to say, we are going to have a chunk of the audience this morning wake up and be like, wait, what? That was the final score? And it probably could have been worse, right? Well, I, I mean, they scored 33 in the fourth quarter. I mean, how, how many more could they have scored? I know, but like... <laughs> I mean, Maddie just... Matty rolled over to me last night and said something to the effect of like, what was the final score? I'm like, this is going to sound crazy, 54 to 19. She's like, what? Like the last she saw, it was like 21-19. And literally early in the fourth quarter last night, that was the score. Four straight turnovers from there. One of the most embarrassing, pathetic, awful, insert your adjective here, fourth quarters in NFL history. And... It is time to bench Matt Ryan. It's time to do a lot of things, Kevin. Um, late in the game, I say late. I think it was before Dallas had scored their final touchdown. But late in the game, they did a two-shot on NBC. And they were talking about Jim Irsay. They were talking about the Colts brass. And Jim Mersey was sitting very stoically, almost laid back in his seat. Did you see this moment? I did, yep. Uh, him and Ballard in the two-shot. What was Chris Ballard doing? Uh, looked like he was like putting his coat on, heading down, probably heading down, knowing it was over. 
you had one guy in Jim Mercer that had the look of, I'm not going anywhere. I'm in this this big chair, this throne. I'm not going anywhere. And you had another guy that looked very uncomfortable and was looking for an exit. And I thought that was a real symbolic side-by-side image of where the Indianapolis Colts are right now. An owner that's like, hey, my club, I'm going nowhere, obviously. And a general manager that's like, that's looking for the exit. And in terms of the team itself, I said it last week, and I'll say it again. A head coach that probably wants to win games. A quarterback that is there because his head coach wants to win games and thinks that's the best chance to win games is to put that quarterback in. But a quarterback who apparently told Chris Collinsworth before the game when Collinsworth said, how are things going? And he said, eh. Eh, did you hear Collinsworth mention all that? Eh. I'm like, that's interesting. Usually a quarterback's like, oh, man, you know, we... we... Oh, he's not wrong. Of course, of course. Let me throw this one at you, Kevin. I thought about this last night, and we can go over the nuances of the game, and they, they didn't play well in this gap or that area. We can do all that. But in totality, in a big picture, let me ask you this. Is it possible... Because I was watching it and I was thinking about this with Jeff Saturday as the coach of the Colts and the Colts just going up in flames. Is it possible that Jim Irsay, who took a lot of grief for going out and making Jeff Saturday his interim head coach in a move that seemingly no one else knew about, including Jeff Saturday, who was hunting with his kids when the phone rang, is it possible that Jim Irsay said, you know what, I've got two choices here. I've got to make a coaching change with Frank Reich. I've got to blow this thing up. But if I bring in somebody or elevate somebody from inside the building or whatever it may be, then there's going to be pressure and expectation to hire that person long-term if, in fact, we win or things start to turn around. But I already have my guy. I know who my next head coach is, so I'm going to bring in an interim that is going to alleviate any pressure from the outside of making that be the person that is going to be the long-term hire. So it's Jeff Saturday to just kind of help me survey the damage, and then I'm going to make a splash hire at the end of the season that's one that I have already made my mind up, and all chips are in on that person. Yeah, I mean, that would be quite the commitment from that person. Well, if you were going to get it from somebody, wouldn't it be a guy who's a consultant loyal to the building, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I mean, quite the commitment from whoever your next coach oh, is yeah, going yeah. to be to, you know, in mid-November or early November. Well, I'm not that saying was. that person's accepted the job, but if there's somebody that, like, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I, I just go back to last night. Jake, I think to myself, yeah, they did get off to a great start. I, I thought there was a chance they'd get run out of the building. Um, they did. They did eventually. But they certainly did not early on. It was arguably their best first quarter of the season. Um, like I said, a very competitive game throughout the third quarter. Um, I thought not challenging the Isaiah Rodgers interception was a critical moment in that game. Um, you're you're a team that just needs to look at those chances. And I didn't think a timeout necessarily was something that you desperately needed at that point. I thought it was worth taking a look at. Um, and then obviously just a turnover filled and... I remember this as a child, and so 
warning to all parents out there. If your kids wake up today and say, hey, you know, I'd love to go back and watch the game. Can I, can I go back and watch? Don't. Don't let your kids watch the fourth quarter. Because it's one of the most embarrassing aspects of football that you'll ever see. And in more ways than one, Matt Ryan just looks old. He looks old. He throws it old. He processes it old. And that might be the scariest part of it all. When Phillip Rivers was here, Jake, like Phillip Rivers had some cannon for an arm. But what Phillip Rivers was elite at or what he had, you know, high level in was the ability to process and throw with an anticipation and make up for a lack of arm strength. Matt Ryan doesn't do that. You are praying and hoping the ball travels enough in the air to get to whoever his pass catchers are. Um, and last night, you know, he's picked off several times and could have been picked off probably at least three or four. And ever since that shoulder injury, I just feel like I've noticed him more to where he is just absolutely just done. He, this is the problem, Kevin. I, and I've said this a hundred times over. The problem for the Colts is what is the vision? What's the vision? They have a quarterback that you knew when you got him you were going to get at most two years out of, and Father Time decided to accelerate that or shrink that time, if you will, to to put it in those terms. And so now, if you are the Colts, the good news for last night, here is the best news about last night. As I was watching that, you know what I was thinking to myself? As I was watching that, I was thinking to myself, they're going to win this game when on a day when other teams started to slide back a little bit, when you look at the draft order for the upcoming draft, the Colts are going to screw around and win this game and and refuse to get in the left lane in the draft process. So the good news is they're putting themselves now in potential in in position to move up in the draft. Moved now, up five spots yesterday. That's what they have to do because they have to get a quarterback, and I don't mean. Mitchell Trubisky, and I don't mean Jimmy Garoppolo, who got hurt. I don't mean they need to get a quarterback right now for the future that they can build around for two to five years. They don't have it, and that's going to set their timetable back, and now all of a sudden the Chris Ballard greatest hire of the 20th century goes now into like decade number two before we actually have a measurable piece of evidence as to what the team can be because just then you got a quarterback that's growing into himself. They're 54 screwed. to 19 outscored 33 to nothing in the fourth quarter. Malik Hooker revenge game to say the least. I thought that was a really critical juncture into the first half when Hooker had the interception. Uh Dallas was able to then cash that in for a touchdown. I thought that was a big moment there where the Colts Potentially could have, could have the lead at halftime and then got the ball to start the third quarter. And they throw a pick there late. And then Dallas is able to punch that in. And even then, you were still playing from behind. I think it was an eight-point game. And I, I just never felt like the Colts were truly, truly like, oh, okay, they're going to win this game. Uh, now, they scored a touchdown. They had a two-point conversion, a chance to tie it. They did not do that. And then, like I said, I thought everything changed really once that Isaiah Rodgers Potential interception was called incomplete, no challenge there, and I believe Dallas ended the game from there on some like probably thirty-three to nothing run. Honestly, Malik Hooker 
had to wake up this morning, or he probably hasn't yet, but when he wakes up this morning, he's got to think, well, that felt pretty good, right? I don't know that there was, like, bad blood by any stretch of the imagination. No, I'm not going to sit here and act like Ballard should have kept him by any means. Right. But, um, no, good for him. Hooker is a... He's a good dude. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning to you. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry again, Sam Fritz in for Mark Dykton. Joe Wright's going to join us here pretty early in the show, uh, coming up at 7.30. Um, unlike last Monday, Jake, this is kind of a bit of a dud of a Monday from a sports standpoint here locally, I guess, unless you're a Purdue basketball fan. Um, the Pacers are leaking major oil out west right now. They are. Which That's sounds true. like a political thing um but they are struggling mightily on their western road trip no Tyrese Halliburton tonight he missed last night in Portland he will not play tonight in Golden State I almost thought to myself last night when I saw no Halliburton no McConnell is Lance Stevenson around where is Lance or can they clone Andrew Nemhard? because they were scrambling last night for some point guard help um It's never good when a basketball team scores less than a football team, and I guess that's what IU basketball did, if you base that off of the Cowboys score from last night. Uh, Indiana loses at Rutgers on Saturday. Uh, Purdue moves to 1-0 in the Big Ten. Zach Eady dominant yesterday. 31-22. He had 22 boards and 31 points. I think it's not like he played, like, you know, 42 minutes. Um, Yeah, dominant by Eady. And I... I thought Purdue hung in there nicely on Saturday, Jake. Selfishly, I would have liked for a little bit more aggression out of Jeff Brom when they were moving the football as well as they did. You know, think to yourself, hey, at some point, touchdowns have got to be the answer, not field goal attempts. Um, But they played well for half and, again, hung in there, hung in there, but could never really punch it in and get that score that you're like, all right, here's some game pressure on Michigan the rest of the way. The... um Listen, the weekend, well, first off, let's begin with this. Other than the Colts game, how was your weekend? It wasn't bad. Um, You know, I was fighting the old voice on Friday, and so I've been recovering from that, but I feel like I'm 98%, um, so good on that front. And you were uh, you were Milwaukee bound. Yeah. First off, did you go? And I'm sorry if you mentioned this. Did you go to the Big Ten championship? No, game? I decided to bail. I, just I wondered. wasn't wasn't 100. Just like, how no the atmosphere what? was and stuff like that. I, um, I had heard a large chunk Michigan. I thought Purdue represented themselves well. I you know listen. I I know that they don't give out participation trophies and and red ribbons and that kind of thing. But um, I thought they played fine. I you know they. They were they hung around. They, I think that's what Purdue wanted to do. To be honest, sure you'd love to win that game, and I know that it's probably simple for me to just say, "Well, they look good, and that's that." But but you know, a lot going against them. I thought they played fine. I thought it was actually a pretty cool game, fun to watch. Um, now that they have realigned the divisions or will realign the divisions, it'd be interesting to see if and when Purdue has the chance to get back to that moment. Um, Indiana's already losing players to the transfer portal, so, which is going to be a mass exodus, I think, and they might win two games next year, so that's cool. Um, the college football playoff, the one problem I have, Kevin, with this, and I know we're going to talk a lot of Colts this morning, but it has nothing to do with Ohio State getting in, who I think is one of the four best. And so in, in that regard, I, I get why they are in. 
But I do think that it seems unfair that you would be penalized for what happens in an extra week when not every team qualified to play that extra week. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and again— It should be extra credit. As a Notre Dame fan, it's kind of pot kettle black for for me in in saying that, but I I couldn't agree more. And in a game where, you know, Caleb Williams gets hurt in the first quarter and has to play through that, um, Ohio State can sit at home. And, you know, in kind of a weird twist, if I'm not mistaken, the Pac-12 doesn't have any divisions. So if the Big Ten followed that suit, you'd have Michigan playing Ohio State for the Big Ten title. Right. So then we would see Ohio State in that 13th game. Um, so it's, it's kind of an odd twist in how all now, of that unfolds. But yeah, it'll be Georgia-Ohio State in Atlanta on New Year's Eve, and then it'll be Michigan and TCU out in Phoenix. If Ohio State beats Georgia, which I think is possible, Michigan's going to strongly regret going out and planting their flag in the middle of Ohio Stadium because they're going to play – Ohio State and Michigan would play for the national title, and Ohio State would blow them off the field. That would not be the Ohio State would win by seventeen to twenty one points. You have been all aboard the Ohio State bandwagon this year. Yes, I, and I can't stand Ohio State, but they are the best team in college football. I mean, Georgia is really good. Don't get me wrong. I so they're better than Michigan. I mean, Michigan beat them by three scores of their own building. I, I, I get it. Let me let me, and I know that that's and listen. I hate them, right? So who am I? But when they're when they are clicking, when they're off, and and CJ Stroud is. I just haven't seen the clicking this year. I, I I don't disagree with that. I mean, I get it. When they want to turn up the wick, they can. They have potential. Let's put it that way. They they should be the best team in the country. I mean, that's the thing about them. If you're an Ohio State fan, that's got to be really frustrating. They should be the best team in the country. Um, but it'll, it'll be fun to watch, though. I saw Notre Dame is going to the um, – they call it the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, right? But it's the Tiger Slayer Gator Bowl because Clemson lost two games and it's South Carolina and Notre Dame who are playing each other in yeah. the Gator Bowl. South Carolina's kind of hot, right? Yeah, they, they certainly – They beat Tennessee the week before that with Hendon Hooker in there for a while. Nobody here cares, I realize, but I'm going to say it anyway – it is disappointing because if Clemson had beaten South Carolina, they're in, right? Yeah. I mean, Clemson would have gotten in above Ohio State, would they not, if they were I, – I, the, I would think so, the but I don't know. I feel like there's, there's this affinity for Ohio State. I, I get it. I get it. But back to last night, Kevin, what would you say – Purdue and, LSU, by the way, in the Citrus that's, Bowl. That's a big one, right? Yeah, and that'll, that'll be January 2nd. We talked about this a little bit late last week. Again, January 1st falls on a Sunday this year. So we'll po- we'll kind of postpone the normal New Year's Day bowl games to Monday, January second. Um, if you had to pinpoint beyond, or maybe there is no beyond the quarterback play, what is the main like the biggest area of concern for you? It would be what for the Colts last night. Um. Yeah, I, quarterback is the root of it. Is it, so much of of the root of it. Um, I mean, sure, your offensive line broke down in protection at times, but to me, I just think there is zero need whatsoever to see Matt Ryan take another snap for the Colts. Ever again, right? Ever. And and I'm talking, Jake, malpractice in the short term, long term, however you want to slice it. Um, I could not believe that Jeff Saturday continued to roll him out there in the fourth quarter. What about going to the victory formation? Drive after drive. Sure. Again, put Dallas Flowers at quarterback for all I care. But they did the victory formation to run the clock out, right? Did they really? The Colts? Yeah, I'm pretty sure at the uh, end of the game. And I'll go back to something I said earlier. It just 
physically and mentally, he looks old. And, and, and it's the latter part that I would think is extremely worrisome in that the misidentification of free rushers, the inability to take advantage of those free rushers, um, and then physically, it, just the arm is shot. I mean, I tweeted out last night, his fastball 78 miles per hour. That might have been generous by me. Let me read you a... a People were saying he looks like Jamie Moyer. Okay, let me read you a tweet from last night. Bernard Ryman's going to be a beast. Michael Pittman Jr. showed he can be a WR1, and his quarterback gets him when his quarterback gets in the ball. Quiddy Pay was the consensus, first defensive end of his class, and our franchise quarterback quit when the rest of the team was Super Bowl ready. So we've been too bad. Um, so we've been too bad to draft a quarterback. Do have to interrupt. I think Micah Parsons is the same draft class as Quiddy Pay, but nonetheless, continue. Somebody sent me that. Listen, the luck excuse that 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 is no longer sour milk. That is now like cottage cheese. It's so spoiled, right? Number one. Number two. Uh, I, I tweeted this out last night, Kevin. Okay. The Colts have a seventh round offensive lineman, a fourth round tight end, and an undrafted wide receiver who last night all were credited with a solo tackle. They have a second round defensive tackle who did not. That pretty much tells you everything, doesn't it? Yeah, I believe the only hit they got on Dak Prescott all night was the sack from Quiddy Pay um, there in the first half. So. Again, for those that are just waking up, um, it's probably a bit of shock and awe in seeing that final score. Yeah. That's a great song by Oasis, Shock and Awe. Tw- I think that was an Ursa. Actually, it's called Shock and the Lightning, I think. Great I believe, song. I believe that was an Ursa tweet at one point. He threw that out there. A 21-19, late third quarter, Alec Pierce touchdown, two-point conversion, no good. And from there, the Cowboys score 33 unanswered. I think it was four straight drives with turnovers. Um Matt Ryan had a couple picks. Mo Ali Cox had a fumble, and then Ryan had a fumble as well. We can get more into this obviously all morning long. Three one seven two three nine ten seventy. We'll take your calls. Again, my biggest takeaway from last night, and you know, from a long term view, I didn't need to see Matt Ryan anymore starting in like early November. But last night was just confirmation that in the short term. He is holding you back in a major, major way. If you want to get a better evaluation of your roster, why not see what Nick Foles looks like? If you want to look one eye towards the future, why not go with Sam Ellinger? But what what would you learn from Nick Foles that you're not going to learn out of, from Matt? Maybe Ryan? he be, he helps you better evaluate what you have on your roster. Okay. I mean, I, maybe he can. And the biggest reason, Jake, is the financial component. And when Ryan got hit late in the game, and I thought he was hurt there for a second, he's due in bonuses about seventeen million for next season if he were to get hurt to end this year. That would be absolute malpractice to play him at 4-8-1 and one and potentially cost your franchise $17 million because you want your interim head coach to play the 37-year-old 15-year veteran. I just thought Matt Ryan looked like a guy late in that game that was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> right? Like, so Matt Ryan looked like the, the, the mall Santa who just – a kid just wetted his leg. He's, He's like, so jittery. On. It's just, oh, just so jittery back there. Um, all right, Joe Wright's going to join us here in a few minutes. Kevin and Quarry on a Monday. Simply put, Kevin, 33 nothing. 
That's basically all you need to know. If you went to bed last night during the Colts game just before the fourth quarter and you thought, you know what, I've got to get up early for work, so I'm going to set the alarm and then I'll DVR the fourth quarter and watch it while I eat my breakfast. Um, 33 nothing. Cowboy run to close the game as the Colts now are 4-8-1. and one. It was Jeff Saturday afterwards on really a loss unlike any other. I can assure you I haven't been uh, involved in many losses in general, but definitely not like this. And, and uh, I think we went four possessions in a row with you know, a fumble, two interceptions, and a fumble. And uh, you're not going to beat you're not going to beat anybody in the NFL, but you're you're dang sure not going to beat a good football team um, that way. And I think when one of them was, or maybe two of them were for touchdowns. So I, I, at this point, I don't even remember, but it, it wasn't it wasn't good enough. <laughs> uh, four, four straight turnovers on four possessions. I don't care who you're talking about, an NFL junior college team. You go back to Jim Ursa. You ain't going to beat anybody I just talked about. He's right. For those looking to flip over to the Pacer game last night, wasn't going to be much better. The Pacers lose in Portland. Uh, I think it was was a one sixteen to one hundred. I don't have the final box in front that of me. That is correct. Um, it was another ugly performance. They've now lost by twenty three, twenty, and sixteen each of their last three. It's a one and four road trip. You still have Golden State tonight on a back to back, and Minnesota to round things out on Wednesday. Tyrese Halliburton and T.J. McConnell. Both were out last night. Uh, it's a groin injury for Halliburton. He will miss tonight as well. These are the first games he's missed as a Pacer. Uh, by the way, at you said at Minnesota on Wednesday, right? Then back home once the trip ends to take a Washington. Purdue yesterday, 89-70 over Minnesota. That's the one bright spot, I guess, yesterday in local sports news. Zach Eady, 31-22 and 22 for the Boilers. Freshman Fletcher Lawyer had 20 for Purdue. Uh, Indiana loses to Rutgers on Saturday, 63-40. Boy, Steve Peichel owns IU. Boy, you're not – you know, Rutgers is just one of those places that I think a lot of teams go and and it's easy to stub your toe. But the blueprint – and I think Indiana's really good. And I think they got a really good roster. But bottom line is the one thing that may plague them is they don't have multiple outside consistent shooters. And if teams that have lots of bigs um, can pack it in and – limit Trace Jackson Davis, then it's going to be tough for Indiana unless multiple people have shots dropping. And Ray Thompson goes scoreless, you're not going to win a lot of games. Xavier Johnson, Jackson Davis struggles. two for 11, six turnovers. No Jalen hood Shafino. That was a huge loss for Indiana, not having another creator there. But yeah, besides Miller Cop, IU was one of 16 from behind the arc. Uh, they'll have Nebraska this week. I think Purdue also plays Nebraska. They beat Creighton uh, yesterday. That was a good win. A rare good win for Nebraska. Uh, college football playoff. It is set. It'll be number one, Georgia, against number four, Ohio State. That will be the nightcap on New Year's Eve in Atlanta. The other semifinal is TCU and Michigan. That is out in Phoenix. From a state standpoint, you've got LSU and Purdue in the Citrus Bowl, and you've got Notre Dame and South Carolina in the Gator Bowl. That's that Notre, I'm telling you, Notre Dame-South Carolina would be a good game. Really Notre Dame doesn't know who their quarterback is because he entered the transfer portal. Well, is he not going to play in that game? He will not. That, okay, that's odd. Well. I mean, this that, that's where we are, though, welcome right? Welcome to with, college football. With college football today, that's where we are. I mean, LSU, you know, Clemson's playing Tennessee. I was talking with Jason Hammer about it last night because he's a Tennessee fan. So we made our wager, which is loser has to buy the winner the T-shirt, you know, the, the bowl-winning T-shirt. Uh, and we, you know, both of us were like, yeah, the question now is going to be who's playing. 
you know, what players are playing. I mean, Clemson's quarterback they've used all year, DJ um, Uyungale, announcing he's transferring. I, you know, this is where we are. College football 2022. So we'll see. Joe Wrights joins us next here. Kevin and Corey. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Jake, I think our time management here is reminiscent of maybe how the Colts played the fourth quarter last night. Told Joe Wright 7.30, here we are at 7.40, and we're finally getting to him. Well, the difference being between us and the Colts is that we started this show this morning a little slow, right? A little groggy, a little slow. Hey, the Colts started well last night. We are on our way to a strong finish, uh, opposite for the Colts. Started out pretty strong. By the end, complete suck fest, right? Touche. Touche, okay. I can get behind that. Joe Wrights is with us here on this Monday morning. Joe, apologies on a little bit of a delayed start with you. Fellas, all good. Believe me, uh, I know we've all lived that Sunday night football world at different levels. I was just thinking, you know, driving in this morning, you know, man, you get home from those games at like four in the morning and sometimes still hard to unwind and get to bed at five or six. And then especially after a loss like that, it's just a, a tough spot to be in. But I agree, you know, Jake, with what you shared. I mean, the Colts, started well I mean that touchdown drive they had there in the third quarter I thought you could say might have been their best drive of the season you get Dallas you get them in a third and 10 situation you know after the pick and Isaiah Rogers I know we'll get into that but which was a game-changing play call but still you had them in third and 10 CeeDee Lamb underneath you make the tackle they're kicking a field goal they're up five in the fourth quarter you're getting the ball back with a lot of momentum but we don't tackle CeeDee Lamb and, and boy he had an impressive game for having less than 100 total yards, I thought he clearly impacted the game in a huge way. And then we have the fumble with Mo Alley. And, I mean, to say the wheels came off in the fourth quarter would be an understatement. Joe, I'm going to put this in a really weird terms here. But uh, earlier this year, Kevin and I, you know, I'm a Clemson fan. He's a Notre Dame fan. Those two were getting ready to play each other. And I'm like, yeah, I just had this weird feeling about it. And in the very outset of that game, Notre Dame got a blocked punt touchdown and I turned around to the person I was watching with and said, this has all the makings of one of those games where, like, the roof just caves in and there's nothing you can do. Like, nothing goes your way. Do you believe in that? As a guy who has played in the trenches of the NFL, are there games where all of a sudden once one or two bounces go against you where just seemingly all of the energy is sucked out of a team and there's really nothing you can do about it? Or is that lame 50-year-old gray-haired on the couch guy speak? I think there's some truth to that. And clearly, football is a momentum sport. 
football is a momentum sport unlike any other sport because of just the value of the football and turnovers. You know, basketball is a game of runs. Somebody goes on an 8-0 run, you go on a 10-2 run, that just kind of bounces back and forth. But football is different. And I think the culture of team was not a large margin for error. And so when things start to go wrong like they did in the fourth quarter, they just piled up in a big way. And you know what I really felt watching that game in the fourth quarter with the defense? I mean, our defense has played really well, you know, pretty much all year. And I think there's a lot of games that the defense played winning football, i.e. they played well enough to win and, and kind of pulled their share. But I feel like, you know, the offense has continued to turn the ball over. We're now minus 14. So turnover differential in the season. The Colts and the Saints are minus 14. The next worst team, so to speak, is minus seven, which shows you kind of how bad of a spot we're in as a team. And I feel like in the fourth quarter, the defense was just, you know, I don't want to say it was consciously, but maybe subconsciously, like, man, the offense just keeps kind of screwing us and put us in these bad spots. And I felt like that really unraveled there quickly. But to if you looked at the score, 54 to 19, I mean, we won time of possession. We weren't that far off in all these stat categories, but five turnovers yeah. to one. and they had partially, because Dallas, partially because Dallas would score with C.D. Lamb every 18 seconds, right? Yeah, well, and it, it just, again, even right before the half, I mean, it's 14 to 13. You have the ball. I'm thinking worst case. I thought that was a brutal, brutal end of the half. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're down by one, and we're getting the ball back. Man, we're in a great spot. And then the tip, the interception, the touchdown, it's 21 to 13. And I'm like, all right, here it goes. But then we rallied in the second half. I mean, we go, we have that bad penalty. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. We're starting on our own nine, but we punt it. They got first and 10 on the 50. We hold them. The defense holds them. We get the ball back on that drive. It just was, it was a game that I really thought we were game for. And I feel like the Colts played that way through the first three quarters. They were primed for an upset. They came out, they were fired up. But again, that's the difference with this Colts team. When one thing goes bad, when the momentum starts to shift, it really got bad in a hurry. And obviously it's just, you know, super disappointing on a lot of levels to have a fourth quarter like that and to put that on film and tape, you know, in Sunday night football. Again, the great Joe Wrights is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. And I would say one of the definite positives of the Jeff Saturday era, if you want to call it that, is the Colts do or have gotten off to good starts under him. And like you said, they did that last night. Third quarter, Joe, 21-19, Isaiah Rodgers uh, makes a play on the ball, looks very close to an interception. Um, he was pretty adamant after the game that he did pick that ball off. Jeff Saturday elected not to challenge it late in the third quarter. I had issue with that. Um, I, I felt like at that point of the game, you needed to not only halt a Dallas drive, but potentially create an opportunity for yourself there. Um, and I thought it was worth the risk. Late third quarter, to make that uh, make that challenge, obviously, what unfolded afterwards speaks for itself. But what do you think of that sequence? Yeah, I can definitely get behind that. Now, watching it on TV and the replays, I thought that it hit the ground. I think that whatever play that was called on the field was going to stand. But to your point, even if you think that and there's a 20% chance or less or 10% less, you know, in my opinion, it's probably worth the risk at that point just because they're driving and you got the chance to get that game game-changing play. But again... There's a lot that goes into that replay in terms of who's watching it, who's making the call, and uh, I see it from the player perspective. We always think we made the play, right? And coaches are like, well, you guys are always going to come over and tell me that this happened. It didn't necessarily do it. But I would agree with you that, you know, had I been Saturday there, I would have thrown the red challenge flag just for the fact that even if it is a lower percentage chance, just the huge momentum shift of that, obviously the next play, 
Lamb scores the game, and, and that started uh, the train really coming off the tracks. Joe, when this team gets back from their bye week, do you think Matt Ryan should still be the starter? It's a tough one. I know Saturday said that after the game, but, you know, he also kind of uh, put an asterisk on it. You know, it's five minutes after the game. In my opinion, it'll be interesting to see what happens after the bye week, not just for him, but just for other guys too. Because, you know, there's four weeks left in the season. Do you make changes? What changes do you do? Usually on a bye week, what the players will usually get out of the building, especially this late in the season and have some good time off. But coaches stay in and they self-scout. So they're watching really the whole season. What have we done well? What haven't we done? I think the Colts are in a unique position because I don't know if they're technically mathematically eliminated yet from the playoffs. I know you guys could tell me that better, but you're, you're definitely getting in that range now. And do they start to look at some other guys? Do they play some younger guys? And obviously quarterback, the most position, most important position on the field, do they go back to Sam Ellinger? Nick Foles, I mean, who hasn't got a shot yet, but clearly – you know, Matt Ryan here, you know, just hasn't been what everybody thought it would be when he started and the season did, myself included. It's just been uh, just been disappointing and just feel bad kind of for all parties involved because it just – the story of this season is completely different than what I would have thought in July. And I know I came on your show and said, hey, the Colts are going to win the division. This is the year. We got the team around them. Matt Ryan has been stabilized that quarterback position. And obviously it hasn't been that way. And the turnovers is just uh, – inexcusable and really unacceptable when you're turning the ball over at that higher rate. My concern, Joe, and I want you to tell me, I want you to talk me off this ledge, or you can say, Jake, I can't talk you off that ledge because I agree, okay? Jake, I don't want you on a ledge in any capacity. <laughs> yeah, I know, gosh. I'd be unemployed pretty quickly. Um, my concern is this, and that is that you have three people in terms of the pillars. I mean, obviously, Jim Irsay, it all stops there, right? I mean, he is the guy that's going to make final decisions. But Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard, Jeff Saturday. I've mentioned this before. I've said it to Kevin. My concern is that at no fault of anybody's, you may have three people who have three different visions of what the direction should be from here going forward. If I'm Jeff Saturday, I want to win right now and show that I can coach and that people were wrong. If I'm... Jim Irsay, I, I'm a little bit of both because I want to move forward and, and get a good draft pick, but I also want to prove people that my Jeff Saturday call was the right one. If I'm Chris Ballard, I'm like, you know what? I, we got to move. I got to get a quarterback. I got to get a young quarterback when you move up in the draft. I, I just feel like there is no symmetry of vision. Your thoughts? You know, I, I definitely see your point, but I also think, you know, the way Matt Ryan has played and turned the ball over, I mean, does he give you the best chance to win? You know, and that's where I felt the switch to Sam Ellinger early in the season. I'm like, let's change it up. You yeah, know, but Ellinger was over. an inactive yesterday, a healthy scratch, right? Right. And so, uh, again, is it does Nick Foles get a shot or is, you know, he just going to kind of continue to be the number two? You know, I think that it'll be interesting to me what they come out of the bye week because it's one thing – if you're playing a game and you're going the next week and the coaches have the game plan, you only get one bye week. And usually teams have not just schematically, but, you know, personnel. And the bye week is the time to make changes, especially when your bye week's this late in the season and there's only four games left. And I think that's what will be interesting to see who's starting, who's playing when the Colts take the field uh, next Sunday against Minnesota. But it doesn't get any easier. And so you have them. The Chargers are clearly playing better in the playoff hunt. And uh, the Giants on the road, it's not a uh, it's not an advantageous schedule for the Colts here. The last four coming in, but you know, as a as a player and a fan, you know, you just want to, in my opinion, 
see the team continue to fight and try to win games. But I, I certainly understand the fans out there. And, you know, my friends who are texting me and they want the Colts to lose out, right, to improve your draft position. So that's one that's always tough for me being on that side of player. I mean, I was part of the 2-14 and 14 season, right? So everybody's talking about this is the worst Colts win ever. Hey, I, I was part of that game and started on the field. We lost 62-7 to seven down in New Orleans in 2011 for those Colts fans that remember that game on Sunday night football. So, unfortunately, I've lived this at different levels. And, again, it's just, a, it's just not a, a good spot to be in for anybody involved, you know, with this franchise. Gear Moore from Joe tonight, Colts Roundtable Live, Matt Taylor, Rick Venturi, and Joe writes on that right here on these airwaves. Joe, um, in listening to you, whether it be on those Monday night shows or uh, when you've come on with us during the season, you've mentioned some things schematically you'd like to see, like with the run game change up when you talk about the offense as a whole and you look at the issues for that unit this season you know besides a little bit more variety in the run game what else do you point to that's put this unit in the basement of the NFL well I think clearly the turnovers I think our issues with the run game um, I think not having a true lead blocking uh, fullback slash tight end like we had with Jack Doyle I, I think again we, we've really underestimated how good and how important he was for this Colts run game. And so some of the stuff we do schematically, if you don't have that type of blocker in there, it really hurts you. And I think the lack of mobility at the quarterback position, clearly in this day's NFL, in my opinion, you, you got to have a quarterback that can get out of the pocket, scramble for six or eight yards, pick up a first down, and then probably the lack of the downfield passing game. We did take a couple shots and hit yesterday, but for the most part this season, we haven't really thrown the ball past the sticks or past 10 yards on a normal play. And I think you've seen defenses continue to cram our wide receivers, linebackers play a step or two up, safeties come down closer in the box. The more people in the line of scrimmage, the harder it is to run the ball with Jonathan Taylor. I think really a combination of those four things has hurt us offensively. And in my opinion, you know, clearly offensively has been kind of the anchor so far with this Colts season. I think special teams has done – uh, I mean, McLaughlin, you know, he's been a bright spot, in my opinion, even with all the changes and, you know, Rigoberto getting hurt. Hawk hasn't been great. But I think overall, special teams has been a really solid unit. Credit to Bubba Ventrone. Defensively with Gus Bradley, they're eighth in the NFL and third down. They've played well. I think they've played a lot of winning football. Offense has definitely been what's hold, held us back, and those would be the four reasons. Kind of 30,000-foot view, I would point to. Joe, I know you had mentioned that Joe Wrights is our guest. He's on the Payless Lickers Hotline. <laughs> The former Colt, you know, you were on that team as you talked about, sixty-two to seven on prime time. It was a different season, admittedly, because I think you knew going into that that, that the, the season was kind of a punt, maybe a little bit different than this year because of the expectation coming in. But take me through what Monday feels like after a game like that, and what will be for Jeff Saturday the biggest challenge. As you now get, you know, obviously you're going into a bye, then you go to Minnesota. But what are the things where the Colts really need to refocus? What's the biggest task at hand? And psychologically speaking, what do you do to get everybody to continue to buy in? Or is that a lost cause? I think psychologically, emotionally, you know, mentally, whatever, you got to keep the ship together and you got to get guys to understand that, you know, yeah, we're four, eight, and one. Uh, we just, you know, we're embarrassed in the fourth quarter on national TV. That's a sick feeling. And Monday after loss was just an awful feeling because as a player, you knew that you were going to come in, you were going to meet. It wasn't going to be pretty. Then you were going to go watch the film and then agonizingly, painstakingly, you go play by play and you watch every play that I, 
made and didn't do well that contributed to that loss. Uh, that accountability on Mondays, while I didn't like it, uh, I appreciated it because, again, there's no hiding. The eye in the sky doesn't lie. But for me and for Saturday, it's about keeping the guys together and keeping the guys united as a team and saying, let's go out and, you know, let's, let's give it the best shot we got for the last four games and play together, play as a team, and, and try to pick up some wins. Because certainly with only four games left, it's easy as a player for your eyes to start to drift to other things and next season and what's going to happen and thinking about yourself above the team. Now, I think that happens at all levels throughout the NFL because, again, guys are themselves first, and this is a business, and you hear guys say, i got to take care of me. But the best teams I always was on, you had that collegiate atmosphere, if that makes sense. You know, in college, pre-NIL, when I played, nobody got paid. And the wins and losses, I would argue, mattered more because you weren't getting a paycheck on Monday after the game, if that makes sense. But I think that collegiate atmosphere where guys are bought in and they're playing for something bigger than themselves, those are the teams that win and go on deep runs and win championships. And so you got to kind of keep that, uh, that spirit, that collegiate attitude in the locker room if you're Saturday to get this team to, you know, win some games here once the bye happens and you got your last four. Joe, we'll end with this. And again, four games to go post-bye. I would argue one of the bigger kind of individual storylines the rest of the year is the continued development of Bernard Ryman. Um, if he can take strides and you look at him and say, all right, there might be something to work with here as a left tackle. That's huge for this franchise moving forward. What have you seen from him now that he's gotten some extended starting action? He struggled, which a lot of left tackles struggle, especially rookie guys. I think he's a guy. I think he can be a pillar for this franchise in terms of a left tackle for the future. I think, one, he has the feet. Two, I think he has the work ethic. And three, I think he has the mental makeup. I've talked to him, met with him. I mean, he's a pretty – uh, regimented guy. He's going to work hard. He's going to do the right thing. He's a guy that I think like Costanzo at, at offensive line, we'd say you can't get tired of doing the same thing over and over. Just doing the same thing 60, 65 times. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. I think the Ryman played better last game and I think he'll continue to improve. It's all those different nuances. Where to put your hands? When's the ball coming out? Is it a quick throw? What's this defender going to do? How's the defender's feet look? Is he really going to try to pass rush me? Are they going to run some sort of line stunt tackle end game? As he learns all those little nuances, I think he'll continue to grow. But I do think the Colts have found their left tackle of the future. I think Will Fries, too. Will Fries is another guy at right guard. And uh, I think overall he's played pretty well for his second year, but really kind of his first year starting. So those are two younger guys that you know, hopefully will continue to grow and be pieces of that offensive line moving forward. But, Kevin, I think you bring up a good point. Four games left in the season. Mathematically, you're all but out of it. But do we see some other younger guys play? Do the Colts want to take a look at some guys and say, what's this guy going to be development? You know, as, again, you're trying to win these games. We're also, you know, let's be honest, you're looking to the future, too, and trying to figure out, you know, 2023, who's going to be on this roster moving forward. Joe, they've got established names and big contracts within it. But in your opinion, moving forward, is there any concern about the interior of the Colts line? I think there's con in there. I think there's concern uh, everywhere, and I think there's definitely concern. I mean, the bottom line is you know the offensive line, highest paid you know league. Obviously, that's been well documented. That they haven't played well. And again, I will say, and again, I'm going to fight for my position group, so to speak. But in my opinion, those first two sacks weren't on the offensive line. Now there was a miscommunication, but what it looked like to me that it was. Uh, running back issues and not going to the right spot. But they've had those kind of throughout the year. And, again, everybody has struggled. I mentioned, you know, 
two of their younger guys that have been issues and that right guard left tackle has been liabilities this season. But, you know, the bottom line is Nelson Kelly and Smith haven't played their best either. So it'll be interesting to me for sure. Um, like everything, right. This will just be an interesting off season in a lot of different ways. And, um, but that, that'll unfold. And you know, I guess not going to speculate too much because there's a lot of, a lot of dominoes to fall here uh, as the season progresses and then into the off season. Joe, if your boys ask to watch the fourth quarter when they wake up, just tell them, "Hey, DVR, just stop working." <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and just delete the fourth yeah. quarter after that thirteen forty nine mark. Up until then, it was a good game and a good run. Uh, but again, it was just uh, the wheels came off, and I know everybody in Indies probably just got kind of that same disappointing feeling this morning as I do. So, again, you can hear him tonight, Colts Roundtable Live. Terrific work as always, Joe Wrights. Thank you, man. All right, thanks, fellas. That's Joe Wright's right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. 8 o'clock hour coming up. We'll take your phone calls through on 7239-1070. Kevin and Quarry here on a Monday in which the Colts lose to the Cowboys, get outscored 33 to nothing in the fourth quarter. 8 o'clock hour coming up next. The 8 o'clock hour is underway here on a Monday. Good morning to you. My name is Jake Quarry. Kevin Bowen, the other voice that you hear on this program. Mark Dykton exercising part of his 11 weeks of vacation. Sam Fritz capably running the board for us this morning after the Colts last night. Against the Dallas Cowboys, things started out okay. And then really, it, it was kind of like the Colts season in a microcosm. It started out okay in the beginning and you thought maybe, although it didn't necessarily for the Colts way back in Houston, but you get what I'm saying. A lot of promise, if you will, and then reality set in. That's what happened last night. A fourth quarter close of 33 to nothing for the Cowboys, who ended up eclipsing the 50-point mark against the Colts. And for me, Kevin, last night was indeed, and I know I flirted with this and talked about it, insinuated it, and hinted it, and then it's sometimes been all on board, but hesitant. Uh, there's no hesitancy now. Bottom line, no question about it to me. The page of the calendar has been ripped off on the season. It is time to look forward. They are now 4-8-1. and one. They are, for all intent and purposes, mathematically or even just spiritually, out of any running for the postseason. Um, they had a double box. That's a TV term for when you see two people on the same screen. Uh, Jim Ursay sitting very stoically and his suite at the game last night and just kind of looking straight ahead. And then they showed Chris Ballard, who was uh, looked kind of like Chris Farley trying to put on David Spade's coat and Tommy Boy. And I don't know if he was leaving or wrestling his sport coat or whatever it might be, but it looked like one guy, to me, it was very symbolic. It looked like one guy who was there to ride things out and is going to stay the course for the long term, obviously, because he's the owner. And it looked like another guy that was exiting stage left and couldn't get out of there fast enough. And to me, that was symbolic of where things are with the Colts now. They have indeed now found themselves completely surrounded in the unescapable vat of suck for the rest of the year. You know, I think something I was thinking about yesterday, Jake, watching the 1 o'clock, 425 games unfold into the Colts playing on Sunday night. The Titans have lost two in a row. The Titans are 7-5. and five. There's a good chance they win like nine games this year. They go nine and eight, and yet they're going to win the AFC South by like three or four games. Like, 
that moment of you play in such a pitiful division, the division leader loses a couple in a row, and yet in Jacksonville, Houston, and Indianapolis can all speak to this, none of those teams can even pretend to threaten, I think, a flawed division leader with injuries playing into into it in Tennessee. It, it, it was just... That just kind of adds a little salt to the wounds of where you're at right now. And I, again, by no means am I saying like, you know, the Colts, oh boy, they're they're right there and all that. No, no, no. What I'm saying is this is a position right now within this division that look at the division leader in the AFC East. Look at the division that division leader in the AFC West or all around the NFL. Um, seven and five typically is not the division leader at this point, but yet you can't put any sort of pressure on Tennessee to close out this final month of the season. Um, I, I said it to lead off the show for many reasons. There's no reason whatsoever to play Matt Ryan another snap this season. Um, he should be benched for short-term reasons, long-term reasons, financial reasons, all of the above. Um, he looks old physically. He looks old processing and that is a dangerous combination that gets you exposed very quickly in today's NFL. And boy, did the Colts get exposed in the fourth quarter last night. Because I, I, I still feel like there's a chunk of our audience that literally woke up and thought, wait, what? 54-19? to 19? I thought the Colts were at least going to cover. Didn't even come <laughs> close to covering. Listen. I have said before, there are primetime games sometimes where they just hang around and you're like, yeah, okay. And they look that way for a little bit. And then they started taking on water, and before you knew it, um, the main hatchway gave in, right? I have, boy, that was unlike anything I've, any, anything I've seen. 239-1070, we'll begin with Mo. What's up, Mo? Happy Monday. Yeah, you too, fellas. I think uh, the fourth quarter last night was a payback to uh, – the Peyton Manning years in Tampa when we came back and won that game and uh, everybody went to bed and woke up the next morning. This was just in the reverse. Um, <laughs> I I went to bed thinking the same thing. And had, I couldn't sleep because I thought, well, maybe they'd come back. I, 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 I went to bed because of what happened at the end of the second quarter when we had a chance to tie. And next thing I know, it's 27-19. I said, here we go. But I thought we'd keep it close. And then everything everything just kind of fell apart. And I think that's what happens when teams are not very good. They hang, they hang, and then then there's a point where the hanging actually ends up hanging ourselves, and that's what we did. I thought that sequence in the first half, Mo. I I thought that was a huge, and I know Joe Rice just brought it up with us. I thought that was a huge change in the game. I know you were still in it, well, you know, into the third quarter, into the fourth, uh, but you had a chance there after the Stephon Gilmore interception, to maybe punch that in for seven and take the lead. Uh, then you got the ball back late in the first half, 14-13. Um, again, at the very least, as long as you possess the ball and don't turn it over, you're going to be down one going into halftime, and then you get the ball start the third quarter. And that was when Matt Ryan threw that ball towards Alex, Pier- Alec Pierce. Uh, Alec Pierce, by the way, did have a great catch on the touchdown catch, right? Channeling my Jim Irsay there with my Alex Pierce comment. Um, <laughs> this one for poor, poor Alex Pierce. <laughs> after I snuck in the Gilmore earlier. Um, that's just a ball that, you know, was the guy there a little bit earlier? Sure. 
but contested passes happen way too frequently with the Colts because defensive backs can just sit on those routes. And when Malik Hooker caught that deflected interception, uh, then they go down and Dallas gets into a third and nine situation. And Dak Prescott, who is not just some, you know, mobile Michael Vick, Lamar Jackson type quarterback, but yet he makes a subtle move to get out of the pocket, throws that ball to Michael Gallup for the touchdown. And I thought that just started, that put Dallas back in control. And I thought they stayed in control through the third quarter. Again, the score was still pretty close, but I still felt like Dallas had control of it. And then obviously everything snowballed there in the fourth quarter. Uh, Let's go to George. What's up, George? Hey, fellas. Good morning. How are you? Doing all right, thanks. What's up, George? You sound peppy this morning, George. Well, I am peppy. The PBR will be on sale here in a little bit. There's always a new week. (laughs) Let's go. Hell yeah. Hey, fellas, like, here, here's the deal. Like, we might be surprised with how it happened last night, but are we surprised that it happened, that we got blown out? Because that's exactly what I expected to occur, and I expected it to occur because of our quarterback turning the ball over, our offense not making enough plays, and just the same thing we've been seeing all year. Like, I called you all several weeks ago, so the worst thing that happened was us winning that Raiders game because it gave people more false hope. I'm just going to be rooting like hell for the first time in my life. I'm 50 years old, diehard Colts fan, diehard Pacers fan. For the first time in my life, I'm going to continue to root for the Colts to lose because it all comes down to the future, drafting a quarterback. And can we please finally fire Chris Ballard? What an arrogant SOB. George, thank you. Ninth in draft position right now. Cheer for the Saints tonight, by the way. The Saints went, Colts will bump up to eighth. As the game last night was, I, I think at one point, was it 21-17 or 21-19 you, you were just talking about? 21-19, yeah. And I was watching that and I thought, you know, there seemed to be, like there were some teams that are all of a sudden starting to win a little bit. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so, so Pittsburgh won. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, you know, Green Bay won. And Detroit won. One of those had to between Detroit and Jacksonville, obviously. Cleveland won. All of these teams yesterday, as the Colts are sitting in traffic of that 4-5 win grouping. Raiders won. Yeah. Several teams started changing lanes to go to the left because traffic started moving. And I thought to myself, for the Colts, in terms of the draft, oh my goodness, they're actually going to turn on their left turn signal and keep with 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 that group. No, stay in the lane right now, man. Like let let everybody move, and and you just sit where you are, and and everybody moves behind you. Opposite analogy here, but you get where I'm going in terms of the draft. And and I guess that was the one positive in losing the game is the Colts still stuck on four wins. So here you go, right? They moved up. What did they move up? Five spots. Yeah, started the day at fourteen, up to nine. Um, yeah, I think. I mean. Through three quarters, there were probably a lot of people that were like, this is exactly what I wanted to see. A very competitive game, and the Colts are losing. Uh, because that is, that is again, a good amount of people right now, and I totally understand. And, th- and that's where, I think that's where you almost have to be. I, I-, I get there are some people that you know might be inside of Lucas Oil Stadium for that Monday nighter with the Chargers here in a couple weeks, and you know they've been thinking about that game. It's a Monday after Christmas, and they really want to see a Colts win. Fine. But... If you care about the long-term future of the franchise, 
lost, lost, lost the rest of the way. Let's go to David. What's up, David? Hey, guys. Good morning. I love the show. I call in frequently. But um, I don't think Chris Ballard makes a pass today. Probably does. I don't know. We'll probably get a number one, get the top five draft pick, um, get a left tackle or defensive end or whatever. I don't care no more. Hey, I got a question, a serious question. Do you think Lewis Riddick would do a lot better job as a GM and with uh, Jim Harbaugh as a coach? Well, first off, we'll begin with the coach part. All the ESPN analysts, right? <laughs> That's right. I do believe that Harbaugh is a serious contender for the Colts head coaching position. Um, you know, there are, there are a lot of dominoes that have to fall there, especially in terms of timing. But I do think, yes, Harbaugh will be on a very short list. What do you want, roster control? List. Probably. I don't know, though. Did he have it in San Francisco? Didn't, but... You know, a lot has changed. I think his candidacy and resume has only gotten stronger since then. But in terms of the general manager, I'm not certain Chris Ballard to be on his way out. Your thoughts? Um, I think these performances continue to happen, Jake. How do you not clear it all out? Um, I've said it for several weeks now. I don't have a great read on the Ballard situation. Um, but I have long been a big believer in that. The head coach and GM should be tied at the hip when Jim Irsay extended them both last August to match up. Uh, that's what he said. Because you get in this awkward balance, Jake, of, all right, let's just play out the scenario that um, whoever that caller was just uh, just alluded to. Ballard stays as GM, and then Harbaugh is hired as head coach. Now is Ballard tied to Harbaugh for the next X amount of years? Like, does Ballard get six thing. years blanket? If Chris Ballard, Chris Ballard's been here how long, Kevin? Since 2017. Okay. Let's, so when, when Chris Ballard got here, who was the head coach? Chuck for that final season, which Pagano, there's no, right? no reason for that to have okay, happened. But still, Chuck Pagano was the head coach of the Colts under Chris Ballard. Chuck Pagano gets, Chuck Pagano, who was hired by? Uh, Ryan Grigson. Okay. Um, so Chuck Pagano, and then in parentheses you put Grigson because we're writing down who hired him. Uh, and then Chuck Pagano leaves, and then the head coach becomes who? Frank Reich. Okay. Frank Reich, who was hired by? Let me guess. Technically Ballard, but I think there's a lot of owner influence, 2000-era cult so influence. in parentheses there, I'm going to put Jim Ursay because Josh McDaniel was the Ballard pick, right? Uh, Frank Reich has been fired, and then Jeff Saturday is now the head coach. He was hired by who? Jim Ursay. Okay, put Jim Ursay in parentheses. So, so now we're up to four quarterback or four coaches here, and Chris Ballard has yet to hire any of them. I. So, if it's Jim Harbaugh, then you can bet that's a Jim Ursay hire. So now he's, uh, he's up to zero for. Well, like I said, that would be zero for four. I mean, as a general manager of a football team, can you imagine lasting that long going through four coaches and you didn't hire any of them? It's it's just so awkward um, for, for both parties um, with how it looks right now. And, you know, when you made the move to go from Reich to Saturday, Jim Irsay was a big believer in that the problem was rooted much more in coaching than it was in roster. You're one and three, been thoroughly outplayed, closing out games in this stretch. At the end of the day, how is it not more personnel than anything? 
to me is just a poorly constructed roster at the critical parts. And again, the hope, you know, part of the Harbaugh allure, and I know Harbaugh said yesterday, I believe, on the conference call for the Fiesta Bowl that um, he'll be back at Michigan in 2023. Again, saying that on December 4th and that turning into actions, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see that play out. Um, but I think what you're looking at on that front is, is this attractive enough? I mean, Harbaugh turned down. I, I don't know if turned down is a little bit too too aggressive. He was pretty deep in talks with Minnesota last year. I mean, look at the Minnesota situation versus the Indy situation. Kevin O'Connell walked into the Vikings, and they're what? 9-2? and 10-2? and two? You think anyone's walking in here and going 10-2 and two next season? Uh, hey, Jake, this is from Derek. Jim Harbaugh has already said that he's staying at Michigan. I mean... I'm not saying he's leaving Michigan, but I, you know, Nick Saban. Remember the the famous press conference. I'm not going to to Alabama. Next day, announced at Alabama. I mean, you just never know with coaches. Let's go to Tim. Tim, what's up? Yeah, my question. He he makes over six million this year. If he at least makes the championship game, he'll go up to eight or nine. I don't think he's leaving Michigan. Possible, except for that in the. You know, there are challenges, I think, in the in college football now with NIL and other such things, and now with the, you know, playoff expansion probably helps in terms of that stability. But I think the fact that you turn over your roster every four years in college and the constant recruiting, Tim, that's the the one thing that I'll say. And I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just spelling out what would be the, the lure, if you will, on the other side. Number one, I think Ursay will pay $10 million. Um, that would be my guess. But number two you're not recruiting. You're, you're not on the road and you're not having to go and sit in the living room of high school kids and kiss up to their parents 200 days a year. Well, what do you want professionally to? I mean, does missing out of that Super Bowl, does that grind him? Right. I mean, he's flirted with the NFL before, so I think that is something that would play in it. We'll continue to take your calls. Again, 317-239-1070. Uh, Purdue fans, should they be worried about Jeff Brom? Jake, you see this news? Jeff Brom, I think Purdue fans should always be worried about Brom possibly leaving. Scott Satterfield, expected to be the new head coach at Cincinnati, so that creates an opening at Louisville, which has always been the rumor giving Brom, given Brom's pretty Brom, extensive. Kevin Brom made no bones about the fact. Family ties last year at the beginning. Louisville. At the beginning of the season, he was asked about the Louisville job the last time it was opened up, and he said, well, at that time, the timing wasn't right, but you never say never. I think he'd love to go there. Yeah, a lot of leverage probably for Brom, too, after the season that he just had and, and has had here with Purdue. So something definitely to keep an eye on. Again, Louisville, Scott Satterfield expected to become the new head coach at Cincinnati, taking over for Luke Fickle, so... An opening there with the Cardinals. All right, let's hit a morning check down. Play the Saturday fourth quarter. When the fourth quarter began last night, it was twenty-one to nineteen. When, <laughs> when it ended, fifty-four to nineteen. I believe the 33-point margin, did I see this right? And this is where we could use Scotty. 19-25, the last time in the NFL. They were outscored 33 to nothing in the fourth quarter, Kevin. 
They were outscored 33 to nothing in one quarter. Four turnovers in that fourth quarter. Here was Jeff Saturday afterwards it's a calamity of errors right like when you look at it it was it was uh i think i said four possessions in a row where we turned the ball over and and one i know for the touchdown and maybe the other one uh but you know you're you're putting your defense in an awful position and um you know they're they're a high-powered offense anyway but when you're not making them sustain anything to get points uh it's going to get ugly quick it was a calamity of errors a comedy of errors 33 to nothing in a quarter i mean to be honest they should put a statue up Oh, right. hey, well, definitely hang the banner. Can we get the rare air audio, Sam? <laughs> in terms of getting outscored in a quarter, that is in the upper quartile of the upper quartile, and that is rare air. Now, Jake, if they lose, if the Saints win tonight, the Colts will be in the eighth draft position. Now, who would, here's the bitter question. The better, bitter, the better question. Who would be in front of them? Uh, I don't know that off the top of my head, but. At eighth, wouldn't that put the Colts in the bottom quartile of well, the NFL in the, right in now? In the draft, that puts them in the upper quartile, which is rare air. In right? NFL records, you'd be in the bottom quartile for the 2022 season. Pacers last night, uh, it's been an ugly Western road trip. They've been thoroughly outplayed uh, in really all of the games, save for that fourth quarter of the Lakers game. They lose last night in Portland by 16 uh, that's on the heels of a couple 20-point defeats in the previous outings against the Jazz on Friday night. Tonight, they will have the Warriors, so it'll be a back-to-back. Tyrese Halliburton did not play due to a groin injury. He will not play tonight. TJ McConnell is out due to illness, so Andrew Nemhard was about all they had as a point guard. So uh, We knew this would be difficult. Rick Carlisle kind of warned us about it, and it's certainly held true. The Pacers uh, back to 12-11 and 11 on the season. Uh, college basketball yesterday it was Purdue 89-70 over Minnesota. Boilers 1-0 in the Big Ten. Zach Eady, 31 points, 22 rebounds. Fletcher Lawyer, the freshman, had 20 for the Boilers. By the way, Kevin, in the NFL draft as it's slotted right now, these are the teams that would draft ahead of the Indianapolis Colts. When I say them, I want you to immediately say yes or no if they would be looking to draft a quarterback. Are you ready? Houston, Houston Texans. Yes. Chicago Bears. No. Seattle Seahawks. Sure. Detroit Lions. Yes. Carolina Panthers. Yes. Philadelphia Eagles. No. Jacksonville Jaguars. No. Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, maybe. Okay, so that is, uh, you're now looking at the fifth, maybe sixth quarterback. The Eagles having a top ten pick is just unbelievable. (laughs) Via the Saints, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. It is via the Saints. On that front. Uh, Other college basketball news from this weekend. Indiana loses at the rack. That was Saturday, 63-48. to No Jalen Hood-Shafino in that game. And Jake, I I think we knew this sort of blueprint was the way to kind of beat Indiana. Muck it up. Throw a bunch of bodies at Trace Jackson Davis. It's exactly what what Rutgers did. Honestly, Rutgers doesn't have some imposing 6'11 guy. Cliff Amore, their one big guy, got in foul trouble. Uh, but they threw a ton of bodies at him, made uh, Indiana's perimeter guys hit jump shots, and outside of Miller Cop, no one did. Xavier Johnson, 2 of 11, 6 turnovers. And that's, listen, no Jordan Huchifino, as you'd said, which is a difference, but you can't shoot the ball from the outside, Kevin. There are, listen, there are a lot of teams that are going to go to Rutgers and struggle. I mean, Rutgers will guard you up. 
but there are teams in the Big Ten that are going to pack in on Trace Jackson Davis, and Indiana's going to have nights where if their shot's not falling from the outside, they're going to be in a world of hurt, and that's what happened on Saturday. Still a really good team, really good roster, but they got to be able to shoot the ball better. Uh, week 13 around the NFL, what else stood out to you? It seemed to be the week for quarterback injuries. Well, as you admit, Philly over Seattle, I mean, excuse me, over Tennessee Boy, that was a to route. me. I mean, the way that Philly did it, right? Um, and it kind of makes you look even more so at the Colts situation with regret because Tennessee's starting to slide back to yeah, reality. It's just right? salt in the wounds. How about Washington and New York tying? That was great. <laughs> like, is there anything more NFC East than Washington and the Giants tying? Wanted to give Mark a hug watching Aaron Rodgers do it again at Soldier Field, uh, 18 to nothing in the fourth quarter. The Packers come back to beat the Bears. But yeah, Lamar Jackson, knee injury. Uh, Tua got hurt, ankle. Doesn't sound like that's too bad. How about Jimmy Garoppolo? Season ending, is it ankle or foot injury okay, for him? Somebody asked me this question last night. <laughs> And I don't even know the the possibility of this. Brock Purdy. If you San Francisco QB now. If you wave a guy right now, he's obviously eligible to sign elsewhere tomorrow, right? Yeah, I think when you do it this late in the year, I if I'm not mistaken, I think everybody has to clear waivers. So I can't imagine anybody would want him, but San Francisco knowing that they are, you know, San Francisco is decent. And I think was probably in their thought in their mindset was thinking that they were a contender in the NFC. Now they basically are looking for a quarterback. Could Indianapolis release Matt Ryan just in hopes that San Francisco takes him and would that alleviate some of the financial responsibility? Yeah, I don't think financially San Francisco's in a position to take on Matt Ryan's contract. That, I mean, that may be the case. Um nor why would they want him? Well, I, I mean, I agree with that, except for that he... He's old. He stinks. I don't disagree, but do they have the weapons that can at least make him serviceable down the home stretch? Mm. I mean, some of the balls that he was throwing, it was like, what? what? It, it's somebody a, made the point. Back in the day at the RCA Dome, this is a great point somebody sent to me. Back in the day in the RCA Dome, they would have like this little remote-controlled blimp that would fly around, and that's that's kind of what his passes look like. Right? They're like remote control blimps. Brrr, just like hanging around. It's like me like trying to make a paper airplane in tech ed class and just <laughs> I mean, you're just hoping, praying the ball gets there. Uh but yeah, 49ers beat the Dolphins. Monday night football tonight will be Bucks and Saints. I mean, uh woof. Uh yeah. That's probably an accurate way to put <laughs> I mean. it. Granted, I think that's the reaction people say around the league when they hear the Colts are in Prime time. Oh, especially now, right? right now. I mean, Jim Irsay, like, bitched a blue streak forever about the Colts not getting primetime games. Well, <laughs> hope you enjoyed it while it lasted, right? 317-239-1070. We'll continue to take your calls. Still got to give out our fan tweets of the game. Some ones that uh, definitely had me chuckling late last night. Kevin Quarry, although it looks to be a nice Monday here in Indy. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, 
and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'd say a bright spot from last night was definitely getting Alec Pierce back involved. He had the big 45-yarder early on that set up the Ashton Doolin touchdown, which that was a great route, and that was really just great game planning. Trayvon Diggs, a guy that loves to jump those sorts of routes. Uh, then Pierce had the touchdown in the third quarter, which you know we had Joe Wright on earlier, and that was, I think, well said by Joe, arguably. The best drive of the season for the Colts. And if you look at November, Jake, Alec Pierce in the month of November, four games, four catches, 14 targets. We probably get the lazy narrative too often. Has the rookie hit the rookie wall? But, you know, I think that was like a question in November. Um, I think it probably has more to do with the personnel around him. And Collinsworth was calling for it all last night, and rightfully so. What Pierce gives you, that's got to be a staple at least once a half where you just load up the protection, hell, keep everybody in the block, and you just throw him a ball down the field. I mean, the the touchdown catch he had was like he he managed to corral the like his body is is the left side of his body is warding off the defender. He's twisting. He uses the right side of his body to absorb in the football. I mean, it was a heck of a play, man. Heck of a play. And – I thought something I thought the most interesting thing, the two most interesting things to me last night were both courtesy of the NBC broadcast. The first being Chris Collinsworth. You know, the and it does always kind of make me chuckle. These the broadcasts they meet with seemingly, like the quarterback, the head coach, they you know, they have meetings with all of the key players. And a lot of times people are like, Well, how come the local guys keep getting scooped by all the national guys? Well, because the national guys are paying for it. That's why. Because when you're the broadcast rights carrier and you pay a $5 billion television contract, you're paying for access. That's what that means. But when Collinsworth said that he he said to Matt Ryan when they saw them in the meeting, hey, how's it going? And that's like a rhetorical question, right? How's it going? And most people, it's like when you say to somebody like, hey, man, how are you? And they're like, well, you know, I've got a, a foot fungus and, you know, my cat's sick. And and you're like, no, no, it's a, it was a rhetorical right. question. I don't really care how you're doing. Um, usually you see somebody and you go, how's it going? And they go, good, man, how are you? 
and Matt Ryan apparently is like, well, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not been great. Uh, you know, it's and and Collinsworth was like divulging that, which I thought was very telling that 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 Ryan even would have gone into that sort of elaboration that made it even worthy of Collinsworth relaying it. And then the other, as I mentioned earlier, was the double box camera shot later in the game, late in the game, during the deluge when they showed Jim Mercer in his suite. And he was just sitting completely stoically, and Chris Ballard was packing up to leave. And I thought, well, that might be symbolic, right? <laughs> One's not going anywhere, and the other's like, <laughs> it's time to head out, right? You with me on Matt Ryan, benched? Yeah, I mean, at this point, Kevin, there are two things that I thought last night. The first I'm hesitant to say because... I am very appreciative of and very aware of the fact that people having an interest in the Colts and wanting to know what's going on with the Colts uh, really allows for us to be able to do what we do for a living, which I'm very appreciative of. And I think we, I don't want to speak for you, but you know, we enjoy doing it. Sure. Without question. And, and there are certainly other subject matters to talk about. Don't get me wrong. And you got the Pacers, you got basketball season, everything else. Um, but I, I did feel like last night, okay, uh, this is the. The Band-Aid has been ripped off on the season. It is now officially about next year. And people, in my mind, I was thinking people surely have to be checked out after this for the season. I don't mean checked out entirely on the Colts, but just people have to now be aware that the season is a wash, one would assume, right? I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't know that, but that, that was what I thought. And so, yes, there. what value is there – and playing a guy and letting him ride out the finality of his career uh, before us. I just I don't see the point. And for me, like, there's a lot of reasons, Jake, I think, to do it. Um, one, the financial component. We can get more to this later in the week. But basically, if Matt Ryan were to get hurt, you would owe him about $17 million for next season that you currently do not owe him. Those numbers get guaranteed – uh, those bonuses uh, become a cap hit in March. Uh, so that would be a big, big reason. Two, I just think there's a little of, uh, accountability in the here and now of Jeff Saturday saying the play at that position is not acceptable. And if you're going to preach that accountability, you need to preach it at that spot, the spot where you came in the building and made a change at but that position. here's the thing, though, Kevin. Let me ask you this. For the franchise, maybe I get it. But for Jeff Saturday, we'll just take this. You want Jeff Saturday to hold people accountable, right? Well, if Jeff Saturday is only going to be your coach for five more games, what? and if holding people accountable means winning games and now sliding back again further away from the top of the draft, what good, other than just the message of within your franchise, what's the real purpose of Jeff Saturday holding guys accountable? Yeah, are you trying to create a culture that – I, it is a big reason why you brought him in. Yes, I mean, I get, I get it. I, I think culture is like the most overrated buzzword in all of sports, personally. But yeah, I get that. But I mean, at this point, do you want to? I get it. I mean, you want guys to know that that in the long term, that it's a place where you come to win, yada yada yada. But for right now. Does it do you any good for guys to be like, we are all in. Like, let's go for it. Eight, eight, and one. Here we come, baby. No, obviously losing is the best thing for the franchise, but that's not how Jeff Saturday's thinking. Uh, no, I get it. 
Um, right. And, and again, these saying. are just parts of my it's time to bench Ryan. Lastly, whether you want to further evaluate what you have offensively or you just want to get another look at Sam Ellinger. You watch Sam Ellinger play two games. Washington game, I thought he played decent. I thought he played probably better than decent, to be honest with you. Uh, had some nice moments in that game. Then he goes to Foxborough, and he looks like a quarterback, making his first road start, facing a Bill Belichick defense. Is that it? Are we done? Is he the backup of the future? Is he a nobody? Is it like what? What is he? Um, I think it would also about allow for you to get a little bit more of a look at Ellinger. Again, I don't think he's a franchise quarterback, but I think that answer you would be able to find a little bit more if you turn to him. But more than anything, I just think if you and Saturday would appear to have this, if you are trying to win, there is no way Matt Ryan is your best option right now. Hey, Mike. I think Mike wanted to weigh in on it. What's up, Mike? Hey, guys. Good morning. Um, So, I I haven't really heard nobody talk about this guy in particular, but we lost him in the offseason. And I personally think he was a big key to our offensive line, Mark Glowinski. He was like our glue guy. Uh, I think we was – correct me if I'm wrong, I believe we was number eight or nine last year offensive line production. Now, you know, we're 31st, 32nd, whatever you want to say, but we're we're ass altogether. The offensive line, the quarterback, the wide receivers, I mean, on the offensive side of the ball, this thing just needs reconstructed, blown up from the ground up. But do you think Mark Glowinski was the glue guy that kept this line – I guess in check, however you want to put it in your terms. But, I mean, Eric Fisher, I don't – I mean, was it him? Was it Glowinski? I mean, what? it's only two pieces that change on this line, and I believe the line is the reason that we're 4-8-1. I mean, we, we can't get the ground game going. That's what the problem you have when your best offensive player is a running back, too. And you get down, they take him out of the game. I mean, so – I thought it was interesting last night, Mike. Appreciate the call when Collinsworth said, "Look, they've never had a problem protecting the run. They just can't protect the pass. They they have no pass protection at all." And in today's NFL, I'm sorry, I don't care if you got Earl Campbell back there, got to be able to throw the football. Yeah, to Mike's point, I think you've regressed at every single offensive line spot. The Glowinski loss and the Chris Reed loss. I think you felt that at right guard for sure, but I think you've gotten worse at left tackle in the short term. Quentin Nelson is not at the level that you're used to with him. Certainly Ryan Kelly is not. And then Braden Smith over at right tackle. Hey, Jake, if Matt Ryan retires, the Colts will have retired three quarterbacks since 2019. See, they should have a banner for that too, right? That's awesome. How many how many franchises can say that? Managed to get three quarterbacks to retire in four year, five years. Hell yes. Is that rare air? That is in the upper quartile of upper quartiles of quarterback retirement, right? Jake, this is a little bit more of a bigger picture take on that. But that notion, and again, Andrew Luck was obviously a surprise. Phillip Rivers and Matt Ryan would not be a surprise given their ages when they came here. That goes against everything that Jim Irsay as owner desires in this new era of the Colts. Sustained success, multiple Lombardies, is what he says. The best chance of doing that is to go find a quarterback that you can groom and have under center for years to come. Years to come. 
versus Band-Aid, stopgap, Band-Aid, stopgap, Band-Aid, stopgap. Hey, do you remember in like week four when I was the worst human being on the history of the planet and the dumbest sports person ever to walk the face of the earth when I implied that they should parlay Jonathan Taylor into picks? Seems rather harsh to go there for yourself. I'm just telling you what the reaction was. How do you think people like that thought now? Are people still in on, like, keep Jonathan Taylor and, you know, he's a 2,000-yard back, you can't replace him, yada, 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 or are people like, you know what, they got too many holes, man. They got too many needs. If someone asked me a couple weeks ago about, you know, Taylor as a generational talent, you can't be generational at running back anymore. He's a generational talent that is a talent in a generation long gone. Yeah, you just you need too much around you to be perfect and sound for you to be gen- like Saquon Barkley is an absolute freak of athletic ability and when he's healthy, he's a beast. But he can't stay healthy and he's too reliant on his offensive line to produce. Right. And so therefore spending the pick that they spent on Barkley or paying Taylor that money just does not add up in Major, modern Major football. Taylor was a generational talent at riding the bicycle, and then they invented the automobile. You know what I mean? That was a strong indie reference there. Thank you. Uh, he's Jay Query. I'm Kevin Bowen. Sam Fritz in for Mark Dykedon. We'll continue to take your calls and give out our fan tweets of the game. Colts 21-19. They were down late third quarter last night. If you went to bed, you woke up to 54 to 19 that is not a misprint we'll explain more coming up next i know we're talking a lot of colts here but this story is interesting kevin in the fact that louisville is going to be looking for a new head football coach and jeff brom had said about a year ago, I think it was, to Boosters, he was asked about Louisville. I think it's actually he was in Louisville giving a speech for something and was asked about coaching at Louisville, and he said, look, the last time when that came up, it just wasn't the right time for me, and you never say never. Um, Purdue coming off of an appearance in the Big Ten Championship game, headed to the Citrus Bowl against LSU, eight-win season, and a realignment of the Big Ten divisions that seemingly, I'm not going to say that that's the ceiling of what you can do at Purdue, but would you agree with me when I say this, and I mean this as no disrespect at all to Purdue, who I like just fine as an athletic department, but home is home. I would be stunned if Louisville did not pursue and eventually land Jeff Brom this time around. Yeah, I mean, certainly the family ties speak for themselves. I mean, Brom is beloved at Louisville, played there, went to Trinity, coached there for a while early in his coaching career. So I think this has always been the one that Purdue fans are most worried about. You know, for a program, Jake, that you don't look at on the surface and think, oh, yeah, you have to leave Purdue to go to Louisville. Like, it's not like it's some huge stepping stone. It's not leaving, you know, Purdue to go coach at Alabama. The one one detriment may be that Purdue is already in the super conference of the Big Ten once we get these two super conferences, and Louisville may well be a school and a conference that's frozen out. Yeah, I guess you could look at it two ways. But that would be the only, that would literally be the only thing that I would think that would be a detriment, right? Is that appealing, though? Is it harder to win in the Big Ten? Or is it? Or do you look at it from a, 
if you're not in this conference, you're not going to have a chance I, to survive. I think it's – that's the – I mean, to me, those two things are a tie, and the push would be that home is home. Yeah, it'll be very – I mean, again, ton of leverage. If you're Jeff Brom's agent, you got to be pretty happy right now. <laughs> you ain't lying, man. Uh, we'll continue to take some phone calls. Again, our fan tweet of the game. Uh, we will do that coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Kind of a mystery for me last night, the lack of playing time for Jelani Woods. Alan, the guy that was taking those reps for him had a pretty big bobble. How bad of a season has Mo Cox had? Yeah. Especially when a guy like Jelani Woods is just is kind of a younger version of what he brings to the table, right? You sign the new contract, Mo Cox, and just, oh. Such a poor season as Colts tight end number one. Yeah, Woods, for a while there, I'm thinking to myself, where has he been? Like, not playing at all, and he dressed. I'm like, is he only needed an emergency duty? And then the fourth quarter rolled around, and they threw him out there. And they played him, like, the entire fourth quarter. I'm like, why was he not in there earlier? How about this tweet from Christy? Matt Ryan threw three interceptions, had a fumble. Last night, they need to release him immediately. He's absolutely terrible. His play and the play of the O-line has led directly to five losses. Ryan kills the momentum every single time. If he is on the roster this week, I'm not watching another game this year. Well, <laughs> looks like we I lost one. Christy. Christy, you're going to have your Sundays open then moving forward. <laughs> you think so? Well, he's definitely going to be on the roster. All right. I love it, though. Christy's fired up. Love it. Purdue's supposed to have a um, Citrus Bowl press conference this morning. Oof. Wonder what those questions will be about. I feel the questions could be a little bit different for Jeff Brom and Mike Bobensky. Um, all right. Again, 9 o'clock hour coming up. Kevin Aquario will continue to take your calls and get to our fan tweets of the game. Kevin Aquario on a Monday. I don't know if it was something I said earlier, but I like three Carson Wentz related messages in the last break asking about kind of Wentz's presence, hiding some of the pass protection issues last year. I mean, Wentz certainly kept some plays alive, got out of sacks. I think an issue that the Colts thought they were upgrading and going from Wentz to Ryan is they felt like from an mental processing standpoint, they would have a quarterback that could get them out of some sacks, some pressures, etc. pre-snap. They knew physically they weren't going to have a mobile quarterback, but they thought that Ryan would be able to identify that stuff pre-snap. And Jake, we saw it again last night. The amount of free rushers continues to be an issue. And again, that to me is like, Matt Ryan doesn't look old just with his arm. He looks old as a processor, and when you can't throw and your mind isn't as sharp as it needs to be, you're going to be the laughing stock of the NFL, and that's where the Colts are at right now. Think they're the laughing stock of the NFL? They're probably close, right? I mean, 33 nothing in a quarter. I mean, Troy Aikman literally laughed at him last Monday, and Chris Collinsworth did everything but laugh at him last night. 33 to nothing in a quarter. It was actually said multiple times in the fourth quarter, you're being publicly embarrassed on national television. 33 nothing in a quarter. 
I, that's not embarrassing. That's you should be proud of that. Thirty-three to nothing. You, hang a banner. We got beat thirty-three to nothing in a quarter. So the Colts had not allowed that many points in a game all season, <laughs> but they allowed thirty-three and a quarter. I mean, seriously, like, can you imagine one hundred and thirty-two to nothing in a game? Like, why? Why stop? It's too bad they waited till the fourth to let that happen. They should have just gone with it right from the get-go and just let's go. I did like the Ezekiel Elliott touchdown celebration in the kettle, like the little Jack in the Box. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought. Did that you was see the whack-a-mole well they did? They showed the. Yeah, that was good. They got fined for that, right? They did, and they gave the money, I believe, to the Salvation Army. Right. right? Uh, I thought that was very well done by the Cowboys. All right, it's time for our fan tweet of the game. And even though Mark uh, is still traveling back, he was able to fire off. I think he set the tweet with like five minutes to go in the game, Jake. <laughs> there are some great ones here in terms of He the- goes, forget waiting until this goes final. Give us your post-game headlines in five words or less to describe what the hell this is. Uh, Jake, lead us off. What stands out to you? I'm going to go with Scotty, a Colts guy, who says, that was rear air. (laughs) Very solid, right? Oh, my God. This from Rob Albright. The dam has finally broken. True. My man, Ty Gehrig, Cowboys, Clown, Colts. How about this from John? I don't know if I can say this out loud. Hooker screws Ryan and Colts. That's Can I say solid. that out loud? That is really solid. If the Indy Star did not go with that headline today, they are missing out. That is super solid. How good is that? <laughs> really good. John Hat Tip. Hooker screws Ryan and Colts. Uh, Jason. Noodle arm, butterfingers, turnover. <laughs> I like that. It sounded like going over my grandma's house. <laughs> I see Charlie here has, will probably lose bye week. <laughs> Yeah, well. <laughs> that's solid. That's solid. Uh, this from Jules: never-ending train wreck. Jason Cowboys beat dead horse. That's solid, right? Joshua, think about your family, Ryan. Uh, ben Dallas just scored again. That probably actually was true while he was writing it, right? This one hurts from what I think is a bot. No credibility with fan base. I mean, Jim Irsay's got to hate seeing that, right? Did you see Jim Irsay last night when he tweeted, like, big game tonight? Did you read the replies But even before oh the game began? No, should I have? Oh, man. Brutal. I mean, just brutal. Trev goes, I just vomited three times. <laughs> it was about 4 o'clock yesterday, and old Max had quite the projectile vomit on his dad. And I'm sitting there. Like it was one of those like immediate shorts and shirt both to the laundry, and I'm thinking to myself, was this Max telling me what I was about to watch in the fourth quarter in about six hours? This from Ryan, banned from prime time 2023. Seriously, Ryan, bottom quartile of bottom quartile. Hashtag <laughs> rare air. Again, one spot right now from the bottom quartile. This from Big Og. At least it was Scorigami. <laughs> that is true. That was the first time it was, ever, right? right? Yes, it was a scoregami, which means it was the first time in NFL history that a game ended at 54 to 19. They've had a couple of those this year, right? I think that that might be their second scoregami. 
Hooker screws Ryan and Colts. <laughs> That's really solid. Is that our best one of the year? Yes. It can't get any better, right? Like, literally, we should end this. We should retire the segment. The The cold season and this segment both ended last night, right? It's over. I remember when the Colts drafted Malik Hooker. Um, someone was saying they really hoped that they would draft another guy maybe named Mike Hooker. So on the back of Malik's jersey, it would say Ma Hooker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, by the way, this is a good one. Matt pulls Avante Davis. That's kind of a deep cut, right? Yeah. Avante Davis, by the way, retired at halftime of the game. That's what that means. I mean, you think there's any ounce of Matt Ryan that sees this? I mean, he has to feel it. And I, and I, I said it earlier, Jake. That Tennessee game in Nashville, when he got benched after that game, but then he also missed a couple of weeks due to practice, uh, due to a right shoulder sprain. Mispractice, I should say. His velocity doesn't even look like where it was early in the year. I think he's hurt. Curtis says this because Mark's tweet is, in five words or less, tell us a headline for the Colts game. Curtis's five words are, I only need one. Pathetic. (laughs) Yeah. But we should have saved the hooker one for last <laughs> because there's so there's good no, there's no bouncing back from that John one. you deserve a day off for that one <laughs> great work John absolutely wins the internet right Ben goes my only concern with benching Matt Ryan is that if it actually works and we win change nothing stack L's get draft position yeah I'll continue to say this you run Matt Ryan out there that's 17 million that you're risking for 2023. Uh, Derek, Dallas digs Matt Ryan's grave. That's, I mean, that's probably right in terms of his professional career. I, he doesn't play anywhere next year, does he? You wouldn't think, right? Who would be the Vegas odds as the Colts' 2023 starter? Marcus Mariota. How many years did Mariota sign with Atlanta? Oh, that's the guy that I wanted last year. I know. One. He's on a one-year deal? Nick Foles? I'm on board the Foles train all the way. Ah, that's because you're biased. Right, it's, I'm on board all the way with him this season because he's at least going to be fun to watch. It would appear as though there was one guy on the Colts payroll who wanted Nick Foles, and that guy got fired. So now it's like, well, what do we do with this guy? You know what I mean? Like Nick Foles, Nick Foles literally is to the Colts roster what Allen was in the hangover. They're all standing around the elevator, and Chris Ballard – who's played by Bradley Cooper, is like, who invited this guy? <laughs> Nick Foles is like, you guys ready to let the dogs out? Did not have the Nick Foles-Allen hangover analogy <laughs> on my bingo card today. That's what it is, though, right? Literally, it's like, who invited this guy? What, what, what is he doing here? Let's go back to the phone lines. Taylor joins us now. Taylor, you uh, you jealous of what Dallas has turned into? Yeah, I think that. You know, Dallas was was what the Colts thought we were going to be this year. You know, they've got the solid running game, great offensive line. You you had a veteran quarterback coming in, and I I feel like, you know, if if nothing else, at least this can show Chris Ballard what a number one, a true number one wide receiver can be. If you oh, had a CD Lamb, 
So thanks for taking my call from Virginia, guys. Love it. Thank you, Taylor. Apologies for cutting you off there. Taylor, I- I'm telling you, I think you make a great point because the Cowboys are a team that we haven't talked a lot about. I mean, you haven't heard a lot about, which is weird because it's the Dallas Cowboys, right? But they're good. They're really good. And CD Lamb is smooth. He is smooth. How many yards after catch for him last night? I mean, well, how many? You notice what was interesting is it was at late third or early fourth, they started incorporating him into the offense without having to go through the air. Yeah, the jet sweep to him a couple times in a row. Yeah, he is uh, a pretty special talent. I'll be curious to see the Odell Beckham situation, how that plays out for Dallas. But their pass rush, though, I mean, it's just, they just, it's in waves. It's in waves. I said it's Jeff Saturday on Friday. You know, there's been some people out there that have referenced this Dallas team and how they close out games similar to the Colts era when Freeney and Mathis would close out games. And Saturday said he would agree with that. But what's different, again, is there's so much depth, so many different guys. Obviously, Micah Parsons is a stud, but... I mean, how many sacks do they have, Orion? Last night, was it three or four? Well, and here's the thing. Those aren't coverage sacks either. You know what I mean? Oh, no. I mean, those are... We are hunting Holy you. cow, look out. Like, I mean, it's coming like a... Like, there's nothing you can do about it. There's this just tsunami coming at you. Dak Prescott hit one time last night. Matt Ryan hit seven. Well, as I said, in terms of the turnovers, is it... And, and I can never remember. Are we going with Will Freeze or Will Fries? It's fries, fries right? yep. So do you know what Will Fries? Um, Ashton Doolin. And Granson all have in common. Do you know what they all registered last night? They all had a tackle? Correct. They all had a solo tackle. So you have three offensive players who registered on the Colts' defensive box score. That's not a strong sign. The YouTube chat's clamoring for a tankathon, Jake. Oh, I've, I believe I've got the tankathon. Stand by. First um, time the Colts have been in the top ten in a while, right? Yeah. Let me. Uh, let me. Let me go ahead and. Again, the Colts started the day at fourteen. Moved up to nine, can get up to eight in draft order tonight if the Saints win. If you look ahead to next week, Colts are have a bye week, so they can only move further up. I mean, there's a good chance when the Colts get back to play the Vikings, they could be, I don't know, seventh, sixth. Okay, here we go on the. Now, do we have uh, Sam? Probably doesn't have the ESPN draft pick jingle, right? Not not up and ready. I can find it. Uh, no, I'll, I'll just give it to you right here. You ready? Can you imagine if this happens? <laughs> okay. Oh, gosh. I don't like when you laugh like that. <laughs> okay. Has me nervous. You got them picking a guard? With the ninth pick and the 2023 NFL draft, the Indianapolis Colts select Tyree Wilson. Defensive end from Texas Tech University. 
Can you imagine if they take an offensive lineman with the first round? The 37th one they've taken in the <laughs> Ballard era in the first few rounds. And one of them that they took in the second round two years ago didn't have a tackle last night despite three offensive players recording one. So right? where, where are the quarterbacks in that? Uh, this has Bryce Young, number one, to Houston. And this is what we were talking about. The Colts right now, if they were to draft, would be ninth. Bryce Young is – I mean – this is obviously a mock draft. Take it for what it's worth. Bryce Young, number one to Houston. C.J. Stroud, number three to Seattle. Uh, Will Levis, number four to Detroit. Those are the only quarterbacks going ahead of them. Levis is where? Uh, fourth to Detroit, to the Fighting Motmans. The next quarterback, see, there, there's just a huge drop-off at quarterback. There's not even a quarterback going in the rest of the, in the first round after that. So you got to keep moving up, basically. Because there are some teams in front of Indianapolis drafting that have no interest in taking Chicago. Philly, Philly doesn't need a quarterback. Chicago. Now, the problem is, I will bet you a, a decent amount that Chicago trades out, right? Because if you're Chicago, you're smart. and Yeah, wouldn't you want a trade partner in the AFC, though, Jake? I think the Colts would be... A trade partner given the ties yeah. to Chicago and, and Philly. Would is Chris Ballard willing to give up some of his coveted draft capital <laughs> to move into the second well, spot? You're gonna have to. Or do you give up Jonathan Taylor? You're anything is on the board to find the future at the most important. I mean, at position some sports. point you have to address the quarterback position, period. The other teams in the AFC that are around that that, that you know, who else in the AFC is desperately looking for a quarterback? Maybe the Raiders maybe is New England still in a quarterback business? Well, Houston for sure. Well, but Houston's got the number one. Yeah. I'm talking yeah. about that would have to trade Got up. it, got it, got it, got it. Uh, I mean, Denver probably, right? Pat's already working on talking points for Jim Irsay for his next press conference. He goes, Colts lost by 35. That's still not as bad as Michael Jordan's worst loss. 37 <laughs> points. <laughs> Do you know how many games Michael Jordan lost? Pat, very good. <laughs> really, really good. Beautiful. I, Joe Wright's joined us earlier. You guys missed that. You check out the the podcast. It seems like, and Bob Kravitz just wrote this on The Athletic, that the Colts need to make a push for Jim Harbaugh. Um, I'll be curious to see how the Harbaugh one plays out. Um, I'm going to come out with a candidate list. I'll post to 1075thefan.com this week. I was kind of waiting for the bye week to do that. Harbaugh was already a name that I had on there. Um, he certainly would be a much different style than recent Colts coaches. His resume at San Francisco is darn impressive. I'm curious a couple things. Would he want personnel control? And is this enticing for him? Again, he was deep in talks with Minnesota last year. He's walking into Minnesota with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook and a pretty good defensive line. And, I mean, Kirk Cousins is at least better than, I guess, the situation that the Colts have here. And look what Kevin O'Connell's done walking in there this year. Clearly, they were not that far off. Does the fact that they don't have a QB, but they might find one in the draft, is that, like, enticing to him? Is it too much uncertainty for him? Because I think Harbaugh realizes... You know, this is the move. Like, when you make one more move to the NFL, this is it. 
This is your last chance of going back to that level and trying to win that elusive Super Bowl they didn't get with San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, I think it just comes down to there are pros and cons both ways. Harbaugh's at his alma mater. He has a chance to win a national championship with them. He seemingly has the program where they want to go, but he also is at a place where there is one team per year that you have to beat, and if you don't beat that team within your fan base, everything, you're back on the hot seat all over again. Look at Ryan Day. And and yet, in the NFL, you, you're not out recruiting all the time. You, you're not having to you know, reset your roster every four years. The Big Ten's about to be realigned and also is adding USC and adding UCLA and probably eventually adding Oregon and Notre Dame. Do you want to deal with all of that or do you just want to I, – I do think that there is a level of comfort and continuity in the NFL, and I think Jim Mercer is going to pay $10 million a year if he can get it Harbaugh. And to me – and I know that – What would that mean for Chris Ballard and or Jeff Saturday? Uh, I think it means that the latter replaces the former. Unless Jim Harbaugh wants total control and autonomy. I, Jim Jim Ursay does seem to be a guy that thinks that a coach and a general manager can coexist even when the rest of the world sees that they're not coexisting. I was going to say, too many cooks in the kitchen there? Uh, that's With Harbaugh on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, that's hard to argue. And does Jeff Saturday want to be a general manager? I think Jeff Saturday would like to be involved in some way. Um, That's a lot different than what he's doing right now. I I don't know that Chris Ballard is as definitively gone as people assume. No, I I no I I haven't I haven't said that. No, no, I I don't mean you. I just mean I mean there have been many times where I feel like he he's I okay. Here's the easier way to say it. And folks, if you disagree with me, let me know. You can text me. Um, I haven't given my number out in a while. 523-9288 is my cell phone number. It's a 317 area code. Uh, 523-9288 is my cell number. If nothing else, just send me a message that you're actually listening to the program, which we appreciate. But um, I-, I feel like the narrative has changed on Chris Ballard, and I want people to tell me if this is an off if – I'm, if I am inaccurately portraying the majority of Colts fans – but I feel like the sentiment about Chris Ballard from Colts fans is that they would like to see him do well and at a time felt very confident about his leadership and football acumen. But now the indifference about him has increased and it is a combination 70% because the team looks to be in disarray and 30% because of the way Chris Ballard has handled himself. And therefore, people are like, yeah, whatever. I mean, if they if they keep him great, if they move on from him, I'm not going to cry any tears because he hasn't given me any reason to fall in love with him. Yeah, I think the new boyfriend appeal is kind of worn off. Right. I mean... Gotten off to great starts in games, but boy, have they, play, have they been thoroughly outplayed. 33 late, late to nothing. Games. And even if you take out last night's fourth quarter, think about it, Jake. Philly outplayed in the fourth quarter. Pittsburgh outplayed in the fourth quarter. 33 to nothing. In one quarter of football. And like Cooper Rush played the final five minutes. I mean, yeah, Cooper Rush did play. The, the, here's the beauty of this is this is the most beautiful thing ever in terms of 
symbolic of the Colts' season. Down 35 at the end of the game, they took the victory formation to run the clock out. Why was Ryan still in the game? I mean, he's getting battered and br- like. Just, they took they took the victory. Go on, Chase McLaughlin. <laughs> that was the, snap under center. The only play that wasn't a guaranteed risk of turnover was the victory formation. I right? was so tuned out at that point. <laughs> Zach Moss ran for nine and seven yards after the two minute warning. <laughs> By the way, Zach Moss he might get a game ball for that. Matt Ryan kneels for a two yard loss to end the game. <laughs> the victory formation. Just go ahead, throw in the towel. Everybody, actually, last night, Shannon, during the game, goes, why are they all wearing those towels on their hip? And I should have said, so that in the fourth quarter, they can turn around and grab them and wave them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's not the truth. Just wave the white towel. We're done. We're going to take the victory formation. Time for a morning. You think are the first team ever to take the victory formation down 35 points? <laughs> A five-touchdown victory formation. Run out that clock, baby. Morning checkdown time. Another symbolic thing last night was after the game when Jim Mercer came out, and typically, usually it's Wish TV 8 that, that spies him and gets comment from him, and he gets on his golf cart. And yesterday, Jim Mercer, last night after the game, got on his golf cart, and rather than making comment, the driver of the golf cart uh, fired it up, and the, they drove away. But they did so in reverse. I thought it was pretty good execution there. It was good execution, yeah. but it was incredibly symbolic. And again, that's par for the course with what Jim Mercer has done this season. Uh, we'll not face the music after losses. We'll happily chat after wins. Uh, I was looking forward to it late last night and thinking, okay, it's going to be like last Monday. Colts lose in the fourth quarter. I'll flip over and watch the Pacers. Last night, get ready to do that. I'm like, oh, man, the Pacers are getting worked. Uh, they lose in Portland last night. It is a 1-4 and four start to the seven-game road trip. And, Jake, Rick Carlisle kind of warned us about this, but then you couple that and no Tyrese Halliburton and no TJ McConnell last night. Oh, boy. I don't care if the Trailblazer on a back-to-back. It was Andrew Nemhard or James Johnson bringing up the ball. Yeah, so two left on the road trip, then back here to play Washington, right? For the Blue and yeah, Gold. Warriors tonight, they're favored by 9.5. Timberwolves on Wednesday. The Pacers now 12-11 and 11 on the year. Is, well, it, we is haven't a talked- Timberwolf different than a regular wolf? Or is it just a wolf that lives in the timber? Boy, that's... Hate to say it's a decent question, but <laughs> it is, isn't it? Probably the latter. Uh, Jake, did you watch any of the football for the Americans on Saturday morning? We haven't chatted about that yet. Uh, I did. Obviously, the Dutch scoring a goal early, what like thirteenth, sixteenth minute, something like that, got down one nothing. Um, Pulisic had a chance early. Boy, the U.S. kind of closed it there for a split second. Yeah, it was two thought, one, like yeah, in the seventy something. Boom! Right back again, three one. So that will be in the World Cup now. Uh, you have Netherlands versus Argentina, England versus France. Those are a couple of quarterfinals. Still got Japan, Croatia, Brazil, South Korea, Morocco, Spain, Portugal, Switzerland. Is Senegal still in? Senegal lost, I think, unfortunately, pretty handily. I'm now all in England. on Morocco. 
Morocco and Spain. I believe that's tomorrow. Now, which one is is Princess Stephanie Morocco or Monaco? I think she's Morocco, right? Boy, that's a. I, I can only Google so many things at one time. Well, let me tell you something. In the late '80s, Princess Stephanie. That's tomorrow. I don't know about now, but back in the day, she was the Gabriella Sabatini of princesses. <laughs> Guys my age know what I'm talking about. No one else does. Sam Fritz and I <laughs> right over our heads. Uh, I just found out the Timberwolf fact. Oh, okay. Uh, Timberwolves are a distinct subspecies of wolf. Heck yeah. That's right. I don't know that I'd ever want to be listed as a subspecies. Like, am I the subspecies of radio hosts? Uh, what quartile would, would that fall in? <laughs> That's in the middle quartile of lower quartiles of radio hosts. Uh, Big Ten basketball play is underway for Indiana. Not a good start. They lose in Piscataway 63-48. Steve Peichel and Rutgers have won six straight over Indiana. Xavier Johnson, 2 of 11, six turnovers. Uh, no Jalen hood Shafino, so that put even more ball handling duties on Xavier Johnson's plate exposed there. And basically, Jake, they threw a ton of bodies at Trace Jackson Davis. Miller Cop hit open shots, and no one else did. One of 16 from behind the arc as Indiana has their first loss of the season. Yeah, when you – and teams are going to do this. That's the blueprint. Not saying that it's going to be easy for them to do. Indiana's not going to shoot that poorly all the time, although it's going to happen because they don't have – reliable, consistent outside shooters. And Trace Jackson Davis is not going to get shut down that, you know, to that level all the time, although it's going to happen. And when it does, Race Thompson's the other one that's got to do something. Because Race Thompson... Yeah, he really struggled. I mean, scoreless. Come on, man. Come on. Uh, did we already mention Purdue? Uh, no, I was going to mention Purdue next. Zach uh, Eady. Purdue, Zach Eady, 33 points, 21 boards. The Boilers 1-0 in the Big Ten, easily winning over Minnesota, who falls to 4-4. Four four. But Fletcher Lawyer, 20 points, 8 assists, no turnovers for the Fort Wayne product. No Mason Gillis, back injury, sidelined him. So uh, both Purdue and Indiana will play Nebraska coming up this week for their second Big Ten game before Big Ten break the rest of December. Uh, looking back on yesterday, the college football playoff, it was announced it will be number one, Georgia, number four, Ohio State, number two, Michigan, number three, TCU. Jake, your thoughts on that final four? Uh, you know, my only thing is, and there's a bias here probably because I, I'm, I do not at all like Ohio State, although I do think that they are one of the four best teams in the country. I do. So I understand it. The... And I know that it's a moot point because they're going to expand the playoff situation. But if you have a regular season that is such that you win yourself the opportunity to win a conference championship and you are bonused a 13th game, theoretically what happens to you in that 13th game should not penalize you to the point of somebody who did not earn that in their conference and is sitting on the side of the road idle passing you by and that's what happened with USC and I get it I mean USC was beaten pretty handily by Utah but their their star quarterback was hurt early in that game theoretically USC only lost to one team all year granted they lost to him twice um but I do think that and I, I get it I mean Ohio State is realistically probably one of the four best teams if Ohio I, mark my words I've never been more sure about this then the fact that my name is Jake Query, and yes, the person that just texted me, uh, thank you for listening to the show. It is my cell phone number. I'm telling you right now, if Ohio State and Michigan, as the stars align, 
if they face each other in the national championship game, if Ohio State's able to get past Georgia, Ohio State will blow Michigan off the field. They'll beat them by minimum 17 points. C.J. Stroud will throw for 450 yards. Ohio State will absolutely blast Michigan, partially because Michigan planted their flag in the middle of the field, and that's it's too soon. It's too soon. And I said at the beginning of the year, no one's going to touch Ohio State and they're going to win the national championship because they have four receivers that are all going to be playing on Sundays someday. And, yes, they got beat by Michigan, but I'm telling you right now, they would have a chance to right that ship and Ohio State would be your national champion. A planting of the flag is going to change a game that was just three scores the other way Yes, last week? Yes, because Ohio State was – they just had like – I mean, I, I really do think, Kevin – Sometimes you just have that, man. You just have days where things don't go your way. And Michigan was dynamic as hell in that game. Don't get me wrong. But Michigan threw everything with the kitchen sink. And Ohio State has too much talent to get beat by 22 again, number one. But number two, you can bet that video of those Michigan players coming out there, I got no problem with it. I loved it personally. But that video of them doing that will be played every single hour of every day if Ohio State gets past Georgia in the weeks or in the week in between the two games. And if they play Michigan in the national title game, mark my words, take the over, take the spread, take Marvin Harrison Jr. to score two touchdowns, take C.J. Stroud in the passing over, Ohio State would absolutely blow Michigan out of the stadium. I feel like you're doubling down on your Ohio State. And then Jim Harbaugh very shortly thereafter will be named as the new Colts coach. If that all comes true, at 9.31 and 46 seconds here on Monday, the 5th of December, we will air that forever. <laughs> I believe at the start of the year you told us Ohio State would win every game by 21 points. I did say that, I believe. I did. And if they beat Michigan by 43 in the national championship game, that overcomes the other way. And and I'm still correct. Take your calls through at 7239-1070. Kevin and Query here on a definitely not a victory Monday. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Uh, the Colts, by the way, my understanding is one of the new banners that they're going to put up outside Lucas Oil Stadium um, in lieu of a player is just going to say, uh, took victory formation after getting beat 33 nothing in fourth quarter of primetime game. Which I think is awesome. That's rare air. <laughs> it is that. It is definitely that. Uh, this is a really good text here that I wanted to read you, uh, probably because it's from a guy named Jake. Uh, 
which is not me, but I mean, you know, <laughs> brilliant shares the name. Um, Jake, my thoughts on Chris Ballard through this season. I've loved the guy since he's gotten here. He's made some great, great draft picks. But it seems to be that kind of a trend that the picks that we need to work out don't seem to pan out. I do think moving forward, either we need to move on from Chris Ballard and clean house, except for Gus Bradley, or Ballard needs to seriously change his philosophy of free agency because it's pretty clear that what he's been doing in free agency is not working. It seems like he's too stubborn at times with certain free agents, i.e. Chris Reed and Danico Autry. Your thoughts, Kevin? Yeah, I would say probably the two bigger issues is just a stubbornness with free agency, but probably before you even get to free agency, I'd argue a stubbornness in how you build and where your priorities should be um, first. Uh, that's probably where I would start. It's, again, questions that I know we've played the audio. We can go back and listen to that audio of Ask Ballard and past season-ending pressers um, because the roster approach is a bit old school, um, and he is not taking that swing at quarterback and then free agency. Yeah, I don't, I don't get why they've continued to sit out March as much as they have. And I know I've brought this up before, but Ballard would counter to that and say, oh, well, roster building's 12 months out of the year, and you can find free agents in season, and you can do all this. Well, where are the in-season free agents? Where's the August free agent? Where, where, where's the training camp free agent? I mean, two weeks ago, you watched the Eagles get run up and down the field on Monday Night Football by Washington. They're on a short week. They're playing the Colts. They decide to go out and make two very notable defensive line signings, and they come into Lucas Oil Stadium, and outside of the first series, they totally shut Jonathan Taylor down. That's an in-season signing, and I see nothing from the Colts. When you look at outside of the building moves they've made, it's got to be one of the quietest of any team in the NFL this season. And again, these are the questions if I'm Jim Irsay, I'd be asking of my GM. It's that... The stuff that you promise, the stuff that you believe in more than anything, we're not living up to those areas. So it's not even necessarily that, like, if you want to put his philosophy to the side and not argue that, just look at the stuff that he believes in and say, okay, are you checking that box? Are you checking that box? And you're not. That would be particularly concerning to me. He's hit on some draft picks without question, without question. But when you look at this roster moving forward for the next few years, there are some very important positions on this football team you don't feel good about. That's worrisome. I can understand, to an extent, the hesitation in signing free agents strictly because you know how short the window is in – the NFL, and so if you get somebody who already has multiple game or multiple year experience, you know with any player you're always a play away from that player not being able to contribute to you anymore. But I do understand, Kevin, why there would be hesitation of giving up clean slate guys for guys that, yes, you do have tangible evidence they can play in the league, but you also know that with certain guys – once they hit the cliff, it's over, right? I mean, the Stephon Gilmore, like that's a – the way that he's played this year, 
you know, he 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 found the fountain of youth, and the Colts have benefited from that because he's been a really good player for them. But it feels like, especially even at that position, that that's one where they sat down at the roulette table and it hit. But that feels like it is more the anomaly than the norm. Well, see, that might be my issue, though, is like, there have been hits. I mean, I thought Eric Ebron was a hit, even though it was only for a year. Danico Autry, although you should have re-signed him that second time around, that was a hit. You've had some success there. It's just not realizing that of all the opportunities in the offseason to try and acquire somewhat quality, somewhat proven talent, it's the month of March. It's that first, second wave of free agency. And continuing to sit that out inevitably leaves holes on your roster. Or inevitably, inevitably creates lack of competition come training camp. And this year, for example, we saw that at left tackle with Matt Pryor having that job handed to him. Or at right guard with Danny Penter having that job handed to him. I think those were, that's where I think some of my issues lie with uh, with Ballard. Uh, I know Adam wanted to talk a little Chris Ballard. Let's get to Adam right now. What's up, Adam? Uh, hey, guys. Uh, Adam, longtime Colts fan. Uh, basically, since I was third grade in the early 90s, watched all the painting years. Uh, I just wanted to talk about Ballard generally. I know there's a big split in the fan base. Some people think he's a great GM because of certain draft picks he made. I have really soured on him as a GM. I thought he should have been fired last year after Jacksonville with Frank the team quit, but also just largely the way the team's constructed and the overall performance, we're in the worst division in football. We're in a division with the Houston Texans who are the worst team in football and the Jacksonville Jaguars who have consistently been one of the worst teams in football the last few years. The only real competition is the Titans who have taken a step back. In his entire now time as GM, we've never won a division title. We now have a losing record in his tenure. We've had no home playoff games. We won one playoff game on the road against Houston in Houston with Andrew Luck, then lost to the Chiefs in KC, lost in Buffalo in our only other playoff appearance. It just, like, people say he's a good GM, and I know we can point to different picks he's made, but if you look at the core four positions in modern NFL football, the only two picks he's had a quarterback have been Jacob Eason, who's now out of the league, Sam Ellinger, who can't even be a third like guy on your roster right now under Jeff Saturday if you're trying to win. At defensive end, we all know how many swings and misses he took in the second round before he maybe found one in Pay, but also he compounded that failure by picking Deo in the second, who doesn't look like worth a second-round pick right now. And then if you look at left tackle, he knew Costanza was retiring for two years and then didn't take a left tackle until this year. He takes Bernard Raymond, who's a third-round pick, who transitioned from tight end to left tackle in the COVID year, and takes no other swings at left tackle. And I think everyone here has been through the rigor of talking about his not willing to invest in wide receiver. I do think that group has actually performed particularly well. I would bring back Paris on the contract, and I think we do sign MPJ long-term. But I just don't see how we, given the performance, either MPJ, you mean Michael Pittman Jr., correct? Yes. I think Michael Pittman Jr., I think we will sign him. I don't know if he's a one-to-one, but I also don't think you let your talented skill position players leave in this NFL. Look at Tennessee. Um, But I think the point is, why would we trust him to pick the quarterback or fix this team when he's broken it so badly? I mean, as you just pointed out, he went with Matt Pryor as the left tackle to start the season. 
that alone is a fireable offense for a GM. I mean, you started a sixth-round journeyman you picked up off a practice squad from Philly who was a right tackle who gave you five games last year where he looked okay, and you said, this guy is the starter with no competition. You chose Eric Fisher over Charles Leno, who looks great right now for Washington and was good last year in Chicago. I mean, it's just like, I don't understand how he gets by for building the most expensive offensive line in the league, which is also the worst. So can you sell me on why, what is the argument for keeping Chris Ballard? Um, I mean, obviously I'm with you on that, Adam, on the, on the rhetorical. In terms of the quarterback, I'm going to say what I've said all along. Adam had his info there. It was a great call, Adam. Uh, in terms of the quarterback, I'm going to say what I've said all along. Chris Ballard hasn't drafted a quarterback because he's a smart dude and he knows that when you draft a quarterback, you'd be your clock begins. And you are at any other position. You can draft defensive ends that don't work out. You'll get another chance to draft a defensive end. You can draft a wide receiver that doesn't work out. You'll get a chance to draft another wide receiver. You draft a quarterback as your franchise quarterback that doesn't work out. You are attached at the hip of that guy and you are probably gone. And Chris Ballard, give him credit has been smart enough to play everybody else for a fool and just avoid that topic and just buy himself two more years, two more years, two more years. It's smart. But the clock begins now because they now they have exhausted the – because people are on to it. People are on to the rental quarterback game, and they're going to have to draft one, and when they do, the clock begins. To Adam's point, and again, I'll just play devil's advocate here because he did ask the question, you know, sell me on Ballard drafting the QB. Jake, to me, that decision is so different from any decision that an NFL GM makes, especially Chris Ballard here in the last six years of his uh, era, that I don't think anyone knows how that will go. Like, because you've missed on... And again, Jacob Eason is a fourth-rounder. Sam Ellinger is a sixth-rounder. Those don't even count for me. Drafting a quarterback is so different. The development of that quarterback, making sure your coaching staff aligns with that, that different that, that's such an outlier from anything that you have done so far as a roster constructor that that would be, I guess, part of the devil's advocate of because you've missed elsewhere, does that mean you're going to miss necessarily a quarterback? I don't think that's like apples to apples. Uh, e- hey. Even even the veteran quarterback route. You know, even, you know, signing up with, hey, we're going to do Matt Ryan, we're going to do Carson Wentz, like those things. Uh, signing off on those things, I should say. I don't think that necessarily um, means that, oh, yeah, he's going to screw up quarterback. Again, I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate, but I also think that it's not exactly apples to apples. Hey, Jake, good morning. This is Daniel from Dallas. Whatever happened to Jeff Saturday coming on Mondays? Is being a head coach too big to talk on local radio? Uh, I I think that last part's kind of facetious. Uh, yeah, a little busy, I would assume, right? So that was in partnership with the ESPN um, affiliation with the radio station here, and certainly very shortly after Jeff Saturday became the interim head coach of the Colts, uh, very, very professionally and on very good terms, his representatives were like, hey, unfortunately, just because of the schedule demands now, he's not going to be able to continue those calls. Totally understandable. Love to have mom before the year's over, though. Absolutely. I we'll welcome mom any time, right? We'll see if we can make that happen. All right, we'll do it one final time. Kevin and Corey on a Monday.
Jake Purdue fans a little restless this morning. Scott Satterfield, Louisville head coach, off to Cincinnati. So he takes the Luke Fickle job there. We know it's been very public, to be honest. Louisville's like interest in Jeff Brom, vice vice versa. Jeff Brom has rich, rich history in Louisville, played there, went to Trinity High School, had siblings and family members that went to Louisville, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you would have to think that his name would be someone that Louisville would covet. And with how their basketball program's going, maybe they might say, hey, we're all in on football. Kevin, Jeff Brom, to your point, who is Louisville through and through. Like a little Damon Bailey to him in Louisville, I feel Correct. And when he, the last time, actually I guess it would have been two jobs ago, when Louisville had a job opening and Brom was linked to that, and of course he stayed at Purdue, it was, I believe, this time a year ago. Maybe it was at the beginning of the season, or but he was. I remember tweeting this out. He was at like a a booster function or some. It wouldn't have been a U of L booster event because he was the head coach at Purdue. But he was at an event in Louisville, in the city of Louisville, and was asked about the Louisville football coaching position and whether or not it was something that he had interest in. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said that certainly is a job that. Um, I know my name was linked to it, or I know people speculated, but the timing was not right, but you never say never. And I remember at that time thinking like, okay, I mean, the next time there's an opportunity. Purdue is coming off of an appearance in the Big Ten Championship game on the cusp of a realignment that seemingly is going to make it even more difficult to get back to that point. I'm not saying there's a glass ceiling at Purdue, but if there is, he's probably gotten about as high up on it as you, or as close to it as you could. Um, I would be stunned, quite frankly. I would be stunned if Louisville does not make a very serious push at Jeff Brom, and I would be more stunned if that takes place if Jeff Brom did not reciprocate the interest. That would be a pretty healthy buyout, right? Yeah, but I think Louisville's pretty serious about... In, in football? Yeah, I do. Especially with some of the struggles I mean they're Louisville athletically is pretty committed I mean that's a pretty that's a pretty committed athletic program and they got good facilities and I don't know if they still got Papa John's money running around but um I would be surprised I like Jeff Brom I like Purdue I like Mike Babinski a great deal the athletic director at Purdue so we'll see what happens uh, Purdue extended Brom back in April for two more seasons through 2027 there so a lot of time still left on that contract in West Lafayette. All right, everybody have a great start to your week. Uh, we'll recap Pacers and Warriors tomorrow and get you set up for the Colts bye week. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Sam Fritz. See you.